Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by the Spotify Green Room, formerly known as the Locker Room app, guys. Spotify Green Room is a live audio-only sports talk platform, free to download and use. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. It's perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. Share your own experiences on the app. Start or join ongoing conversations. Watch games together. React to the biggest news, rumors, and games. And, of course, I host a weekly show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on the Spotify Green Room. The Bears Talk Underground presents Club 34-7. Be sure and join me. Come through and talk with me live. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS or Android app store. Create a profile, link to your Twitter, and join into the group. Follow me to be notified when my room goes live. And, of course, every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern, is when Club 34-7 uh, hits the air. So be sure to join in on the fun, guys. You don't want to miss it. And be sure to follow me on the uh, on the app so that you'll know anytime that I go live because uh, we'll be doing watch parties during the preseason. We'll be doing uh, knee-jerk reactions during halftime uh, during the season and things like that. Lots to do. This app opens up so many possibilities for interaction between me and you, my loyal audience. So be sure and download the Spotify Green Room app wherever you get your apps. <laughs> What's up, guys? The birth of the 2021 season is upon us. Everybody is reporting to camp. The, uh, the Steelers and the Cowboys have already reported because they are playing in the Hall of Fame game, so they started up uh, a little bit earlier. Uh, rookies and quarterbacks have already reported to Hallis Hall uh, because I've been wrong all the this time about when the bears actually report to camp. I, I heard July 31st for some, at some point, and that's the date that I've stuck to all this time. Uh, and then when the bears uh, officially released their training camp schedule uh, this week, uh, that's when I found out that the bears report on the 27th, which is Tuesday and start camp on the 28th. So by the time we come back for our final episode, the NFC preview uh, on Thursday, we will know. Did Eddie Goldman report to camp? Is he there with the Bears as, you know, with this long offseason of silence where it's the will he, won't he, uh, will he retire, will he play, all the rest of that nonsense? Is he going to show up? We'll know when we come back on Thursday whether Eddie Goldman showed up on Tuesday uh, for the start of Bears training camp. But, um, you know, quarterbacks and rookies are there already. Uh, the Bears have made a few announcements uh, today. Uh, number one, uh, Tariq Cohen and Daz Newsom, one of our six-round draft choices, will start the season or start training camp, I should say, on the physically unable to perform list. Of course, Tariq Cohen still recovering from his um, from the torn ACL that he suffered in that in the Atlanta game, week three uh, of last season. Um, don't know what that says about where his rehab is or anything like that, or if that's just standard operating procedure for somebody coming off an ACL injury. You kind of want to ease them into it instead of just having them go all out 
balls out on, on in practice when it starts. And of course, Daz Newsom actually broke his collarbone in OTAs. So no big surprise there. So it's not as catastrophic a, a, an announcement as it would be uh, if he started the season uh, on the pup list. Uh, when you're on the pup list at the start of training camp, you can come off that list at any time. It's it's if he starts the season on the pup list or starts the season, I should say, on the pup list, then uh, then he misses the first six games of the year guaranteed. So uh, if we get there, then there will be reason for panic. But right here, right now, it's just, I guess, them slowly easing these two back into the fold uh, once uh, training camp gets underway later on this week. Um, the Bears announced a signing today. Uh, they signed tight end Jesse James uh, to a one-year deal. I don't know how many tight ends that gives us uh, going into camp. I actually didn't take a look. But uh, the Jesse James, the, the name might sound familiar because he played for the Lions uh, for a year or two. I think most recently he played for Pittsburgh. Or at least that's what he was touted as with the Bears signing him. Bears signed former tight end, former Pittsburgh Steeler tight end Jesse James to a one-year deal. And the reason that they had the bandwidth to sign a player is because they traded Anthony Miller yesterday. So the the long rumored you know transaction uh, of Miller becoming a former Bear, uh, which you know started literally moments after the New Orleans Saints loss, where he decided to be the second bear this year to get thrown out of a football game for punching uh, Gardner Johnson uh, in the face uh, in front of everyone on the field. God damn. You know, the threat was there for for him to be uh, traded before uh, the draft or even during uh, the draft. Maybe the Bears get a late round pick and, and, you know, have an extra uh, pick to use during the draft by shipping Anthony Miller off somewhere. It didn't happen. Uh, I don't, I haven't heard any specifics. All I know is late round pick or like late round pick swaps. So like the, the Bears would get a, you know, like maybe it's a conditional thing. I'm not sure. I haven't read the absolute 100% specific details on what it was. It just, uh, when the, when the, when the report first broke, it was Anthony Miller's going to the Houston Texans and the Bears either are getting a late round pick or we're doing a late round pick swap. So if the, the Texans finish worse than us, which I think everyone anticipates that to be the case, we will get their pick in that you know, we'll, we'll take the higher pick and they'll trade back into our spot in that whatever late round we're talking about, fifth round, sixth round, seventh round, whatever uh, it ends up being. But um, it gets Anthony Miller and his $1.2 million salary off of our books. And it gives this kid a fresh start and, you know, it, it uh, cleans the slate uh, for the Bears. It also kind of um, opens up things in the wide receiver Room because it was going to be hard. There was going to be some hard choices for the Bears to make if Anthony Miller was still on the roster uh, when we got down to final cuts. And, uh, you know, I think that opens things up for Demir Bird, uh, obviously for Marquise Goodwin. Um, and I'm hoping, personally, I'm hoping it opens something up for Riley Ridley because he's going into year number three. We've hardly heard a peep out of that guy. And this was somebody that was supposed to be like the steal of the 2019 draft for the Bears because we got him in the back end of the fourth round when he was supposed to be going somewhere in the second round. So, and we we've we haven't seen him. He hasn't been gotten getting on the field. He, and when he plays, you know, it's like who is eighty? Oh, Riley Ridley's eighty eight. You know that kind of thing. You have to remind yourself who that is. That's how little we've seen of him in his two years in the league uh, thus far. While his older brother Calvin is out there murdering it in uh, in Atlanta. So maybe to open things up for him, 
you know, certainly makes it easier for, for Daz Newsom and everything like that to make the team as opposed to being a practice squad player or something uh, like that. And I haven't hid my thoughts about the Anthony Miller thing from the beginning. I mean, I, I've had very much felt the same way about him that I did about Javon Wims after he was the first bear uh, in the regular season to throw a punch in his face uh, of Gardner Johnson. Same dude, which is what's... <laughs> I mean, Mike Furry, the 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 wide receiver coach for the Bears, had to be beyond furious because, you know, when speaking with Ross Jackson leading into the game, who ironically is going to be our guest here in a few minutes to help us preview the AFC, um, you know, we know it was widely rumored that the, 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 the Bears coaching staff was warning them about this guy, this one specific guy who angered his own teammate, Michael Thomas, enough that Michael Thomas punched him in the face in, in training camp. If this guy can get under the skin of his own teammates, what do you think he's going to do with people that he doesn't care about? You know what I mean? And happened with Javon Wims, and then five, you know, eight to ten weeks later, it happens in the wild card round. Just boggles the mind, you know, especially, especially for Anthony Miller to do it after his teammate got thrown out of the game and nearly got thrown off the team. And I, I know the Bears were very close to cutting uh, Javon Wims for – what he did in that in that uh, in that football game. So, yeah, it was. Uh, I and and I've, I've stated over and over again. I think Anthony Miller might be the most schizophrenic player we may have ever had uh, on the team in in all my years watching it. And and what I mean is he was a he was such a hot and cold guy. I mean, just look at the first three games of twenty twenty. Week one, he's the hero of the Detroit victory. Uh, he made a really big catch earlier in that drive and then an amazing, you know, catch where, you know, one of Mitch's best passes puts it right where it needs to be, hits Anthony Miller right in the hands in traffic, makes the touchdown, stays or makes the catch, stays in bounds, scores the touchdown, which uh, gives us the lead and, and uh, later on was, you know, turned out to be the game winning catch. Week two against the Giants, he drops a pass that would have been an important third down conversion. We got a first down on the play and had a sure touchdown go right through his hands, you know, in what turned out to be a very tight ball game. If he catches that pass, uh, I think that changes some things as far as the outcome of the game and the urgency that the Bears had to had to live with there at the end when the Giants were making a comeback to try to win the game. And then fast forward to week number three. He's the hero of the Atlanta game once again, catching the uh, game-winning touchdown pass in that comeback win uh, over the Falcons. It just happened over and over again, and it was up and down like that the rest of the season. He'd be, he'd be, you know, a big part of the, you know, of the game plan, or he makes a lot of catches and he does this, and then he would do something foolish, or you know, he would just be gone. He would be dis- he would disappear from the game plan and from the stat sheets. You wouldn't even know Anthony Miller played uh, in some games. It was just. You know, in one game, we'll be like, man, this kid was a steal as a second round pick. My God, how talented and blah, 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 and so on and so forth. And then the next day, it would be just like, this kid's a bum, dude. (laughs) You know, it's just that's how frustrating it was. And not that he is a bum. He's a very talented player. I'm sad to see him go. But at the same time, it's probably for best for everybody involved, you know, for him, for the Bears and even for the Texans. Give him a little injection uh, of talent. Somebody that's got a chip on his shoulder, somebody with something to prove uh, coming down there and what is an absolute wide open situation uh, with the Texans. Because this is a team that is building, that is rebuilding itself, you know, from the ground up, rebuilding itself. You hear me and Ross talk about that uh, quite a bit during this episode 
because we cover all 16 teams uh, in the AFC. So we'll just transition uh, into that. But, you know, I tweeted out for anybody who follows me at BTU underscore Larry on Twitter. And um, I said that, you know, it's this there's the move. It's the one we've been waiting for since the end of uh, the, the New Orleans game and, and the wild card. Um, I, I didn't call him schizophrenic in the tweet. And I said he might have been the most hot and cold player. Uh, we've ever had when he was good he was great and when he was bad it was really bad or when he was on it was great when it was off it was really bad um, but I do wish him the best and I, I mean that and no hashtag once a bear always a bear so you know I'll be rooting for him uh, in Houston because we don't play the Texans this year so there's no danger of him hurting us right now so um, you know I, I, I root I root for him I wish him the best and uh I hope he gets a turnaround, man. He's a, he's a talented, talented kid, and I just hope he puts it together so he can get that consistency going and be the player the Bears thought he would be uh, when we made that trade in uh, 2018 to get him. So anyway, that's all I got uh, for, the, uh, for the starter of the, uh, of the episode. Uh, when we come back on Thursday, I'll definitely be leading off with whether or not A.D. Goldman showed up, and uh, maybe we'll even be talking about whether or not Aaron Rodgers showed up because that'll be relevant to next uh, to next episode on Thursday talking about the NFC but we got the AFC up for up for grabs uh, right here and uh, my, my good friend Ross Jackson from locked on Saints but also from locked on NFL is here to help us preview all four divisions all 16 teams and we even throw in some predictions at the end for all of you heroes that will make it to the end of this two and a half hour podcast i praise you and i thank you right now even if it takes you a couple of sittings to get through it i understand you've got three days between now and when the nfc episode comes out so you've got some time to finish it before uh the nfc episode comes out which uh, is going to be even longer believe it or not so uh anyway let me go ahead and uh uh, bring in uh, Ross Jackson from Locked On Saints and the Locked Off NF- Locked On NFL podcast as we move on to the 2021 AFC preview episode of the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. So we made it to the end of our journey. We did all 15 of our opponent previews, including our beloved Chicago Bears, but we're not done quite just yet as we have two more shows and we got our good friend from locked on saints from locked on nfl ross jackson welcome back man we're going to preview the nfl as a whole yeah man looking forward to it glad to be back here with you brother appreciate you having me back on well the last time that we talked uh we were both doing a bit of pretending uh i was pretending <laughs> the bears had a shot in hell and winning in new orleans and you were being a really nice guy and pretending that we had a shot uh in new orleans and then the game <laughs> happened and yeah, we all know who that win. I mean, at least Mitch Trubisky won the Nickelodeon Most Valuable Player Award for the game. But uh, aside from that, that, really, what it was all about. I anyway. think that it was. You know, it was about <laughs> watching the the slime explode in the end zone uh, and things like that. And Mitch walking away with the most useless MVP trophy of all time <laughs> in his swan song as a Chicago Bear and as a starting quarterback, uh, as it were. But. Um, yeah, so here we are. We don't have to pretend anymore. We can be friends, especially for this episode because we're previewing the AFC, which is neither of our home conference for our beloved mm-hmm. squad. So we can there's there's no no bias or anything like that for this episode, uh, at least. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it, though, because, I mean, we were kind of talking off air about it. The <laughs> NFC is always really intriguing, and yeah. this year there are so many storylines that help to make it so intriguing. So starting off in the AFC is really going to give us an appreciation for the wildness, and uh, or let me say, will give us a little bit of appreciation for stability, I guess. Really. Sure. It's more so yeah. what it is that we'll enjoy here over at the AFC. Because the a- even though there's been a changing of the guard uh, in the AFC with, with you know New England, mm-hmm. uh, they didn't even make the playoffs. Uh, last right. year, let alone have anything to say about how the AFC would turn out. But for the last, you know, two years, the K- and Kansas City has represented the AFC in the Super Bowl, and it looks like they're primed to do so uh, again uh, this year. And you know, I've mentioned um, uh, many times that you know, like I went back and did the research, and around 2018, 2019, and from the turn of the century since 2000. The AFC has sent like six teams to the Super Bowl, and the NFC has sent like 13 or 14 different teams to Oof. the Super Bowl. So, like you said, the AFC is stability. The NFC is the Wild West because anybody yeah. can emerge uh, from it. It's like some teams can go twice, but they very rarely go back-to-back. Seattle's the only team since the turn of the century to go to back-to-back Super Bowls in 2013 and 2014. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's if you've gone back, it's been years since you were there. Like the Giants went four years uh, between trips. Uh, Carolina went what fourteen years, something like that. Yeah, two thousand and two like versus two thousand fifteen, uh, kind of thing. You know, the, it's it's just one of those things. The Eagles went twice in two thousand three, two thousand seventeen. You know, the Bears went once in 06, Hallelujah! Mm-hmm. But you know, it's just Arizona went once. You know, just it's it just. You never know how it's going to unfold uh, in the NFC, which is what makes it the more exciting conference uh, to pay attention, at least when the playoffs come around. Yeah, absolutely. But I'll tell you what, the AFC is fun to cover. You have some heavy hitters over yeah. there, so I'm looking forward to, to talking about this conference for sure. All right, so let's dig in. We start with the AFC East, and, and we spoke about changing of the guard mm-hmm. last season. It, it happened. Tom Brady, he leaves. Uh, the Patriots, and you don't think the fall off is going to happen as quickly as it did, but the Patriots were just not a very good football team last year. Inconsistent would be a kind word uh, to put it, especially when it came to their quarterback play. They signed Cam Newton to replace Brady last year, and he's kind of all over the place, and they're up and down. Uh, finished with a losing record, seven and nine. Don't even make the playoffs for the first time since what, like oh three or something like that. Right. So, or actually, it was oh eight when Brady got hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even they yeah. were eleven and five and somehow didn't make the playoffs that right. year. But it's been over a decade since they missed uh, the playoffs, and and it just was not a very good football team last year. Yeah, and it's interesting because even if you look ahead to this year, you know, some odds that are out there in terms of division finishes, they're the odds on favorite to finish third in that division this year above only, of course, the lowly, lowly New York Jets. Uh, But, you know, the new favorites in that division continue to be the Buffalo Bills. You saw the incredible ascension that happened so quickly for Josh Allen, and I'm sure we'll talking about him and his weapons here a little bit more. But when it comes down to the New England Patriots, I think maybe you you look at them as being as potentially in a better place this season than they were last season, which, you know, not really that hard, I guess to say. Uh, But, you know, you've got uh, Dante Hightower returning. He had opted out of the 2020 season. They were without their starting safety and Patrick Chung, but Kyle Duggar really came along. So, you know, you look at the defense really being a defense that's going to get a piece back, uh, you know, Patrick Chung, of course, ended up retiring before this season will begin, but they'll get a couple of pieces back. As of right now, they're still holding on to their two starting 
uh, secondary guys or, or, or corners rather and Stefan Gilmore and JC Jackson, both of which extremely good. JC Jackson, eight interceptions last season, second place in the NFL. So if that defense can help out either Cam Newton or potentially young quarterback Mac Jones, yeah. which there's an interesting conversation. How long is it going to take until Mac Jones is a starter in New England? Because you know what's going to happen eventually. Is yeah. it going to happen this season or not? But they could be in a better position than they were last year. But I think it all comes down and boils down still to that quarterback position and how quickly the transition happens or how effectively Cam Newton holds off that transition. And funny thing, Ross, we're going to have that conversation about three or four times throughout these two episodes Very about <laughs> rookie quarterbacks and when will they, when won't they uh, take the field uh, this year. Two specifically one, one on the, that'll be really close to home for you. A actually. little bit. You know, it, it might have a little skin in the game as far as that one is concerned. But San Francisco and Chicago on the NFC side and then obviously New England here. Uh, on the AFC side, when will Mac Jones, if Mac Jones, I think he's the best candidate out of the three that we're going to talk about. Trey Lance, Justin Fields, mm -hmm. Mac Jones. He's probably the best candidate not to see the field in 2021. I would yeah, say I out of out of the three, he's definitely the one that, that I don't think there's going to be a countdown to Mac Jones taking the field like there will be in San Francisco or Chicago. Yeah, I 100% I, I agree with you there. I think that when it comes down to Mac Jones, it, it's pretty clear that he's going to fit in that Bill Belichick offense yeah. and in that system. But I don't think that they're going to rush that at all. And yeah. I think, too, that Cam Newton, I mean, look, if you gave me the option, like if my only options for a starting quarterback right now were Jimmy Garoppolo, Andy Dalton, or Cam Newton, I'd probably take Cam Newton 10 times out of 10, if I'm being fully <laughs> honest. Uh, I'm a bit of a Cam Newton fan myself. I want to see the guys succeed. And obviously this really you know, lights a fire up under him. You wish that the fire would have been lit a little bit more for him last year but mm -hmm. you know obviously he was still battling through injuries and things like that yeah. and you know who was he throwing to all those question marks and that's another interesting storyline coming out of new england right now too is one of those weapons or one of those players let's just say for now Nikhil harry who hasn't really panned out to be the first round wide receiver weapon that they thought it was gonna, he was going to be also somebody that has you know asked for a trade at this point, which we've seen, uh, you know, a couple different versions of that conversation around the NFL here recently as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and another one in the NFC that uh, it's a little close to home that we mm -hmm. we might spend a minute or two talking about in the <laughs> NFC uh, episode because it because it only literally decides the entire fate of the NFC if it, it really goes does. one way or yeah. the other. So, I mean, I will we'll we'll talk about predictions at the end of the show when we get to the NFC. Um, spoiler alert. I did my predictions as though Rogers wasn't playing. So like that's how I've because because that's how it's looking right now. It's there is no indication whatsoever that Rodgers is coming back to play. He's really sticking to his guns. There hasn't been this meh, maybe there hasn't been any of that from him. The best thing he said in the last few weeks as far as his future is we'll see. That's literally the only door he's left crack open. But even then, it doesn't sound good because everything that's come out after that, like Adam Schefter the other day was he doesn't want to play for Green Bay period. It's not about the money or anything. He just doesn't want to be there anymore on the heels of we'll see. So anyway, it's just, yeah, it's, it's funny because you know, you, you have a similar situation with Nikhil Harry, but obviously way less stakes. <laughs> yeah. Well, because with Aaron Rodgers making a trade, even at 38 years old is going to command multiple first round picks and, and maybe right. some day two, day three picks and maybe a little sweetener of a, you know, special teams player or something like that, mm -hmm. where I hear the stock for Nikhil Harry is maybe a sixth round pick maybe. at this point, only a couple of years removed from him being like the 31st overall 
selection in the NFL draft. So, yeah, yeah his uh, not not anywhere near uh, the state. I mean, he may get traded someplace and not even make the team. Is is kind of what you know, kind of what the stakes right. would be for him. Wherever Aaron Rodgers is going, he's going to change the fate of that organization. Yeah, and Green Bay is at the same time. So, absolutely. all right. But back to the Patriots. You know, they they went seven and nine uh, last year. They they definitely won their games in in spurts. I mean, this was a team that at one point was two and five last yeah. year. Then they win four out of five, and then they lost three out of their last four, which obviously took them out of contention uh, for the playoffs and sent them home uh, early in, in the off season, which is a, something they're not familiar with but the offseason rolls around and even in a pandemic stricken year where the salary cap is 20 million lower than it was going to be the Patriots were buyers this year right which was very very rare for I mean I think it was them and maybe like the Cardinals that were actually out there buying players to improve their football team for 2021 yeah absolutely I mean you saw them add two fantastic tight ends they grabbed a couple of wide receivers as well adding Kendrick Bourne and uh, Nelson Aguilar to the wide receiver core one of the things that helps to push Nikhil Harry out because they already like Jacoby Myers who's going to be there and then of course the big addition for me uh, uh in terms of what they added to the the skill position at least skill positions over in the offense Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith yeah those are great 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 options to have yeah it's back to back to Gronkowski and Gonzalez again as far yeah. as like high level tight ends on that team yeah, it's really, really fantastic. And then you have, you know, Cam Newton, who showed some, uh, you know, a, a lack of propensity to be able to push the ball downfield last year. Now you give him these two tight ends, one of which with some outstanding run after catch ability that can operate near the line of scrimmage. And you know what they always say, too, if you ever have to go to your rookie quarterback, what's a rookie quarterback's best friend? It's the it's tight, tight end. end. Yeah. And you got two really, really good ones there bringing Hunter Henry over as well from the chart from the uh, Chargers. Yeah, and and then of course the you know aggressive would be an understatement as to what Belichick and company were here in the off season, going back and getting Trent Brown uh, from the Raiders, mm-hmm. bringing him back to New England, and uh, you know plugging him back in as their left tackle, which was also a, an issue for them. They could not protect Cam Newton last year. Yeah, it was a huge, huge problem for them. And of course, you know, you have Cam Newton, so you want to also have an offensive line that can hold up and allow him to be a part of your run game, too. So even outside of just the inability to be able to protect him as a passer, you want to have this athletic offensive line that can get out and that can get to the second level, all this. And they really, really struggled there to do that, struggled to get the push at the line of scrimmage to give Cam Newton opportunities to score at the goal line, even, which was something we've seen him be sort of an, you know, a connoisseur at earlier on, a savant at earlier on in his career. And they weren't able to get that initial push, which, as you know very well, is very important for an offensive line. Oh, yeah. And, you know, so to see them go and, you know, put some uh, some attention here, adding to some good players. I mean, Shaq Mason, David Andrews, Michael Onwenu, especially Michael Onwenu, those guys in the interior really kind of, you know, did well. And, you know, some of them better than others, of course. But adding to those bookends, I think, was a really important move for them. And so they did. And, um, you know, bringing Trent Brown in with the offensive line fire sale that the Raiders went through. Right. Uh, during this offseason. We'll get to them here in a little bit when we get to the West. But, um, you know, it's like that's just Belichick being Belichick and letting things fall into his lap um, in, in some ways. And then you go to the draft and his top two picks, his good buddy Nick Saban uh, right. gives him a quarterback in the first round and one of the best defensive tackles, interior linemen, uh, in the second round in, in Christian Barmore. And, and, you know, there it is with the Patriots 
you know, also landing these top picks uh, again, which is something that they were so good at during the their dynasty era. Yeah, absolutely. It's so good to see them also, you know, not repeat the, you know, the Sonny Michelle mistake and going quarterback in the first round or something like that. It was great to see them go ahead and take care of what they need to take care of. But then they also added uh, Ronnie Perkins as well, edge rusher in the third round, which yeah. I thought was a really, really smart move for them. And then a couple of other guys that are just going to fit into the, you know, the the mentality, you know, the Patriot way and everything, as they call it. But I thought those three top picks in particular, uh, of course, Mac Jones, but we talked about him. But in particular, Christian Barmore, I thought was fantastic for them. Kind of brings you back to a little bit of like, you know, a, a pass rushing, penetrating three tech version of a Vince Wilfork that I think you'd be very welcome to have that type of a presence back in um back in New England, especially when you have Davin Gocher there that can be your nose tackle and also a really good complimentary piece and additional piece to add over to that defensive line that I think will continue to get better. I mean, they keep adding the right talent. Now it's just about getting it all to, you know, mesh together. Yeah. So, I mean, it's one of the things that, that you've seen over the years is even in this, in this salary cap era that we've been now been in for Almost 30 years now, free agency really kind of took hold in like, what, 92, 93 kind of mm-hmm. thing. So we're, we're almost 30 years into the experiment. You've never really seen, or at least not at, at a high level of success anyway, those going out there, spending the most money, and then being the best team that right. year uh, kind of thing. So while New England has been aggressive in repairing what was broken last year, filling in the gaps that that hurt them last season, it's not a recipe for success they, they, it might work out a year or two from now and you know that's where all this kind of you know turns back in the patriot way is 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 a thing uh again but just because they've spent the money and they look better on paper doesn't mean that they're going to be the class of this division this year yeah absolutely and especially because you also have two other teams within that afc east division who have done a really good job at you know building competitive uh building competitive squads in particular building up I think if you look at the Miami Dolphins building up their defense and then they added more to that defense in the draft this year, getting uh, Javon Holland out of Oregon, which I thought was a fantastic selection. He's, you know, a, a Rashad Jones that actually wants to play the position he's best at playing, which I think was a really good move by Miami. And then, of course, you look at the offense over in Buffalo that just really took off. And, you know, we referenced earlier Josh Allen's ascension with the addition of Stephon Diggs. I wouldn't be su- surprised at all to see Stephon Diggs lead receiving yards in 2021. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that team is going to be, you know, those teams are really going to be the ones to stave off New England as opposed to New New England sort of putting themselves at a position to where they can't capitalize. Right. And before we get to those two teams, let's talk about the Jets uh, really quick, because <clears throat> personally, I have to thank the Jets for changing their minds during the offseason, ah. because day one of the offseason, the number two pick in the draft was supposed to be Justin Fields. Right. Um, or at least that's how it started out. And then for one reason or another, analysts started picking away at his game. And I don't think anybody got screwed over by the draft process more than Justin Fields, to be completely honest with you. This guy was supposed to be the number two pick. He's widely hailed as probably the best quarterback overall in the draft. And somehow he's the fourth quarterback taken the 11th pick overall by my beloved Chicago bears. And we're more than thrilled that uh, with, with his misfortune, because it's going to be our great fortune knock on wood going forward. But you know, the Jets were supposed to take this guy, and then when it wasn't that and they were still thinking about Darnold, it was supposed to be Penny Sewell, and then they go to the pro day for BYU, and it's Zach Wilson 
for the rest of the offseason, number two pick comes around, boom, we go ahead and take Zach Wilson, Sam Darnold's off to Carolina, and here we are with the new future with our new head coach and, and Robert Sala, uh, the, the hot court, uh, defensive coordinator from the, uh, from the 49ers. Yeah, it's pretty incredible what throws on air will do to an entire draft process, right? Yeah. I mean, go to a pro day and you're like, in, oh my gosh. In shorts and t-shirts and all that <laughs> right. kind of, was, was he even wearing a helmet when he was throwing the ball? So, I mean, that's what always <laughs> right. kind of blows my mind about the whole process. Yeah, pretty incredible. And I'll tell you what, I was uh, I was around some uh, pretty fun Chicago Bears fans on draft night, Paige Demacos, <laughs> uh from over at uh, the Draft Network. And, yo, the the excitement uh, that she and a couple of other Bears fans over there, Allie Reddick, for instance, as well, uh, really exuded, really uh, just sort of really put on display the excitement, I think, for the entire Chicago Bears fan base. So congratulations, everybody, uh, for <laughs> that selection in Chicago. But, yeah, it all started with uh, what is, I still think, a questionable decision by the uh, by the New York Jets here. I, I don't know that um, Zach Wilson comes in with anything that Sam Donald didn't go in there with, right? Yeah. With the exception of maybe, I mean, obviously he'll be working with a different coach and he'll be in a different situation. You know, it won't be the Adam Gase era Ugh. any longer. So maybe it's, yeah. So maybe it sets him up for a little bit of uh, success there. But, you know, they did what they could in terms of putting some additional weapons around him too, which I think were also smart. You know, you already have Denzel Mims, who's going to, I think, have a better, I mean, I think obviously low bar from his, uh, from his injured. Uh, rookie season, but I think he'll be better than people expect. They bring in Corey Davis from Tennessee. I can go. I can go either way on that one. But drafting Elijah Moore out of uh, uh, Ole Miss, I thought was a really great move yeah. for them. Uh, yeah. You know, so they've given him some pieces to start with, at least. Yeah, um, Mel Kiper especially was thrilled with the Elijah Moore one because that was that kid was number one on his board for like the last twenty picks of the first round, right. and he <laughs> went at like fifty something, I think, to the well, actually it was early in the top. Uh, top five picks or whatever, the second round, um, Elijah Moore finally comes off, and it was Mel Kuyper like, finally, finally somebody <laughs> takes this kid. So, of course, that means he'll be the worst receiver in the draft and right, he'll never course. see the field uh, kind of thing. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of with you, with, uh, you know, Zach Wilson. He comes in, it's a new coach, and, and God forbid that there's still that stigma, it's, it's the Jets. So mm-hmm. this is kind of what the Jets do. They go ahead and they trade away Sam Darnold. They give him away for, what, a second and a fourth, I think, or something right. like that, a second next year and a fourth round uh, this year and everything. And, uh, you know, they, they they use some money and they, they go out and they get, uh, like you said, they go out and get Corey Davis and, uh, uh, you know, Tevin Coleman from the 49ers. And, you know, they, he's in a better spot. It very much, in, in a way, kind of reminds me of the difference between um, – when like Darnold and Trubisky kind of walked into the same situation where there was literally nothing around them that they were coming into. They were basically was going to be all on them, which is why we didn't want the bears to draft a quarterback period, let alone Mitch Trubisky. And, Mm -hmm. but this time, like with Justin Fields, with Zach Wilson, you have better weapons around you and you have a coach that's picking you for starters because 2018 was the last year for, um, was it the last year for, um, I, now I can't even think of his name. The defensive coordinator for the Buccaneers. Oh, jeez. Uh, I hate it when that happens, don't you? I know, oh, man. I know. Like, I know the guy, and I, I wanted him to be our defensive coordinator when, when right. that was a thing. And Oh, come on. I can on. see his face. I can see his face, too. Defensive coordinator. 
Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles. You beat me to it. I'm looking at it right now. I had to flip through my magazine. Todd Bowles. That's his name. Uh, wasn't was was or was 2019? No, no, no. It was 2018 because Gase was a disaster for 2019 and 2020. Somehow he got two years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he was coming into a lame duck situation. Same with Trubisky. Lame duck situation with John Fox. Very little on the roster for him to work with and things like that. But now you you get Justin Fields who's got, you know, uh, Allen Robinson and, you know, the uh, various weapons we have. Same thing with, with Zach Wilson. Uh, you know, they, they signed Corey Davis. They, they draft Elijah Moore. They already have, you know, Denzel Mims and, and Jamison Crowder and things mm-hmm. like that. So it's a much better or a little bit, at, at least a bit more of a stable foundation below him than, than what his predecessor had to work with. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then you look over on the defensive side. Of course, you add a defensive minded head coach here again, going mm-hmm. back to that realm uh, here with Robert Sala. And they've done some good things on the defensive line, adding Carl Lawson, who had a you know pretty nice time in Cincinnati after things started to really kind of get rolling and then had some additional time elsewhere as well. And then, of course, they brought in uh, Sheldon Rankins, defensive tackle from New Orleans, actually, who I think will be of benefit to their group as long as he stays healthy. He's, you know, had had some injury concerns in the past, but I think when healthy, he's a very good penetrating three tech, a good disruptor to be able to, to contribute there. Uh, the, one of the biggest stories, though, coming from their defense over the course of the offseason was the franchise tag with Marcus May. Yeah, uh, you know, that's turned into a mess. Yeah, yeah, they were really, really kind of blundered an opportunity here to extend one of the better safeties in the game, even though he's not one of the highest paid guys in the game. But of course, he came in in 2017. So, you know, they just franchise tagged him off of his rookie deal and they weren't able to get a deal done with him. They had offered him a deal that was way low. And then, you know, by the time the franchise tag franchise tag deadline came along, I think it was two days before the deadline, you had already gotten news from Ian Rappaport and Adam Schefter that like, hey, this ain't happening. Yeah. And, uh, you know, massive miss for them because this guy becomes a free agent next year. And if they decide to want to franchise tag him again, you're talking about 120 percent over what he's making this year, which is already ten point six million dollars or the average of the top five safeties across the NFL. And Justin Simmons just got a huge deal over in Denver. So that's going to really skyrocket his price because you get whichever is greater of the two as the player. So it's going to make it tough for them to want to franchise tag him again. They'll have to try to convince him to stick around. But so far, I don't think much good faith earned between player and organization. And how do you feel, not so much about Robert Sala himself, but his decision to go with the Jets? Because there he was basically one of the first guys to get hired, so he literally could have had any of the opening jobs that he wanted. That's how hot of a prospect he was. And he decides to go to the Jets, which aside from like maybe Jacksonville, was probably the, the last place you wanted to go as far as, I mean, because Jacksonville had a ton of picks. They had the number one pick with Trevor Lawrence and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and, you know, they've got salary cap room and, and all that kind of stuff. So you could at least be a part of really building something with the Jets yeah, you got the number two pick, so you got the next person after uh, Justin Fields, but it's the Jets, and this is not an organization that is used to success or really knows very much how to get there uh, and everything. It's just like his choice to go to the Jets was the one that I kind of questioned with the positions that were open. He could have gone anywhere, and he goes to New York. 
Yeah, I think it's an interesting one, to be completely honest. Uh, maybe it was something about, you know, some of the pieces that are already on the defense that he felt pretty good about, like C.J. Mosley, for instance, Quentin Williams, some of those guys that they have over there. But it was an interesting choice. I'm sure getting a five-year deal as opposed to a shorter-term deal might have had a little bit of, uh, you know, impact for his decision-making. But, of course, we know that every coaching contract is really a one-year deal, <laughs> yeah. regardless of how many deals are on it. You know, it's not the same as a player with all these guarantees and things like that. And it's not the same as a uh, as a college head coach, you know, contract where there's buyouts and all these other things to get added in. And so I, 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 it's it's a tough one for me to try to justify, yeah. honestly. I thought it was a an odd decision, I, but I thought it was a better one than, say, Detroit. Sure. Um, is another one that he was strongly connected yeah, to quite he a was. bit, you know, actually he was. So I, yeah. Yeah. So I do think that that was, uh, you know, that the jets might've actually been a better choice than that because the, I mean, the, the lions have just really embraced rebuild at this point, whereas the jets are kind of, you know, I think you can look at them as the, at the tail end of their rebuild because they had the number two overall yeah. selections. So they were going to find a quarterback, whoever that quarterback was, they were going to find it. Um, and obviously he ends up in a much better situation than trading for Jared Goff. So at least there's that. Uh, so I, I think I like leverage it that way, Yeah. but I agree. I think there, you know, if he had other options elsewhere, then maybe some of those could have come up, but it's interesting to know, like, you know, did he have those other options where it, was it really True. just down to the jets and lions for him? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. As far as the two, um, I think the jets give him a better chance to win sooner because, like you said, the, the the Lions have embraced rebuild, so you would expect they've got to tear it down before they can build it up. Right. And with the Jets, they've already torn it down, so there's nowhere they've to go but down. up with them. So right. that's that's uh, that's more the situation that they're in. They've already torn it down. They've already they're already starting over. So it's it's nowhere but up from here, or so mm-hmm. one would think. Uh, anyway, with the Lions, you got to go down before you can go back up again. So, yeah, um, yeah. So in that regard, definitely he made the choice, the right choice out of those two uh, positions. But when you know, if Atlanta was an option, if the Chargers was an option, stay on the West yeah. Coast, and you've got Justin Herbert, and you know, a team that's maybe like maybe like a better coaching situation, and just maybe a piece or two away from being the next good team in the AFC, that would have probably right. been the best job on the entire coaching market in the offseason. So, yeah, but, uh, but we do know with the with the Chargers that, like, you know, Brandon Staley was the guy from the very beginning yeah. for them, too. Yeah. So I think, you know, that could have factored into all of that. It, it's interesting, too, because all three of those out of all three of those, honestly, the best situation, I think, would have been Atlanta yeah. for him. Yeah, because he would have walked in there with a new general manager at the same time, which usually buys a coach a little bit of extra time mm-hmm. in terms of their their beginnings. You walk in there with an MVP winning quarterback, a young stellar wide receiver in Calvin Ridley, you know, uh, you know, walking in with probably the intention at that point, maybe of grabbing Kyle Pitts or, you know, they could have gone the other direction and gone with a new quarterback at pick four, which you know, might, would have taken Justin Fields yeah. away from uh, from Chicago there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so probably not the best choice for, uh, for Chicago Bears fans, but could have been an interesting spot for Robert Sala Absolutely. in that case because there was a lot of talk about potentially replacing Matt Ryan or at least getting that secession, uh, secession plan excuse me, yeah. uh, in place. And it's a division that's a little bit more predictable in terms of the fall off of the teams around them. Yeah. You don't have that in the AFC East because you have upward trajectory from both Miami and, of course, Buffalo. And then over on the AFC West division, you've got – 
you know, static upward trajectory no matter what for Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes. Right. So, I mean, it's 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 much more hostile territory. And like we've talked, we opened the show with, you know, the AFC is is very top heavy and right. NFC is hostile territory, but it's it's the Wild West. It's open and anybody can get hot this right. year. Uh, and go and the Falcons, even though as poorly as they've played, like you've said, it's you know injuries. It was you know poor coaching, and it just wasn't working out for Dan Quinn out there uh, anymore. You know, mm-hmm. fresh blood coming in, a brand new general manager, a new you know perspective and focus on the team. There are pieces there for Atlanta to be successful now, and it just need the right coach to lead the lead the charge. It very well could have been a good situation for him. But yeah, and big time needs on the defensive side where Salah could have been very helpful. Absolutely. And so we we are closing up on the AFC East here. We go with the Dolphins now. And um, you know, this is a team that's been very, very interesting to watch the last couple of years, especially since when Brian Brian Flores comes in, they have their fire sale. They start selling off uh, assets that they've been using to their advantage to get draft picks and uh, and things like that. Um, they are uh, you know the a step away from the playoffs uh, last year. If not for a late season collapse, even though they finished ten and six, they missed out on the playoffs last year, and that really was due to some key losses uh, at the end uh, of the season. They also kept flip flopping between Tua and Fitzpatrick as the quarterback, like they. They seamlessly, you know, needlessly benched Fitzpatrick like right in the middle of a winning streak to put Tua in there. And then whenever Tua would struggle, they would yank him and put Fitzpatrick in there. He would kind of stabilize things. But then the next week, here comes Tua again as a starting quarterback. Now with Fitzpatrick gone, he's in Washington. Tua is the man. They did not draft a quarterback, which was kind of a rumor there for a while that they might just move on from to a kind of a, a Josh Rosen type situation where their top picks in the, in the draft two years in a row would be a, would be a quarterback. They stick with Tua. They decide to build around him. They draft Jalen Waddle. Uh, you know, they go out and they sign Will Fuller uh, from the Texans. So they're going in at least all in for the next year or two with Tua and this is an organization that also is on an upward trajectory like we talked about and Brian Flores is seems to be you know where it was like oh they just bringing this guy in to, to to kind of plug the hole while they while they tear the team down and then they'll hire a real coach to build them back up it looks like Flores is going to be the guy to help them build it back up yeah, absolutely. And I, I think they've done some really nice things here. Um, the thing that's going to be really interesting to watch along with Flores is going to be the offensive coordinator position because they're going with the co-offensive coordinator yeah. approach. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, which is something you don't see very often nowadays. Uh, George Godsey as well as Eric Studsville that are going to be doing that. And then they have their defensive coordinator, of course, and Josh Boyer. They're pretty set there. That defense and that sort of amoeba zone scheme that they play gave a lot of really good teams a lot of trouble last year. I mean, they racked up a ton of sacks against Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs stayed in that game late, uh, but unfortunately had a loss that ended up being one of those uh, critical losses toward the end of the season that you had reference this defense for the most part uh, with the exception of a couple of additions they bring in Emmanuel Ogba they trade or they they uh, obtain uh, Bernardrick McKinney from Houston and then they add a couple of rookies in Jalen Phillips as well as Javon Holland who had referenced earlier uh, and I think they also signed a couple of other folks to uh, no Eric Rowe came in a couple seasons ago or last season so yeah so for the most part I mean they did a good job in terms of maintaining consistency and cohesion across their defense which is really important and something that they have uh, that they'll continue to really benefit from I think 
going into the season. But I loved what they did in the first round, going with Jalen Waddle, get yourself an impact receiver, somebody that has familiarity with your quarterback and really shows the quarterback, too, like we're investing in you at quarterback here. Forget everything that happened last year with the whole we've got two quarterbacks, meaning we have no quarterback situation that right. they were going through. And then they turn around and then add to that pass rush with Jalen Phillips, keeping the Miami guy at home in Miami. Um, and adding, I think, who was probably the most talented and toolsy pass rusher in this draft. All, you know, you have to get around his injuries and he has to stay healthy and everything. But it was a good addition for them. And then turning around to and adding to the offensive line with Liam Eikenberg out of Notre Dame, which he might not start right away. But if he can play himself into a situation to where he can get out there, they put together a really good offensive line having guys like Robert Hunt over there already Solomon Kinley Austin Jackson who they drafted in the first round back in 2020 they've done a good job building around uh the quarterback and then also making sure to maintain that defense that had a lot of moments of success last year yeah and then they also picked up two more first round picks in the trade with the 49ers uh, to go from three, then down to 12 and (laughs) traded back up to six uh, (laughs) so that they'd be in a position to take uh, what I'm thinking they thought might be Jamar Chase because, um, you know, the um, oh, man, I mean, wouldn't that have been something if it was oh, Jamar Chase in, in Miami? It, it, sh- it should have been. Yeah, because Cincinnati, Cincinnati should have made a better choice. <laughs> oh, I, you know, and I and, and because we play the AFC North this year, I've spoken to it was Lindsey Patterson from the Cincinnati Inquirer. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, honestly, what? Why? Why? It's like I understand why because they were they were the best quarterback wide receiver combo in in college football history in right. 2019, but he he got he missed half the last quarter of the season with a torn ACL because they had nobody to protect him. They had the chance to take the best pass rusher in the entire draft. They passed on him to take a wide receiver, and it's hard to hit a guy no matter how wide open he is when you're underneath a pile of bodies. So, you know, I I just I don't get it. But instead, they take receiver one a off the board in Jalen Waddle. And like you said, we're building around Tua. were they teammates in Alabama? Waddle and and Tua? They overlapped, but they didn't, you know, but I don't if I I don't know if they actually played with each other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So but I mean, it the Dolphins has definitely been an, an intriguing team, you know, year one. Under Flores, they had what did they like? Zero and five or zero and I mean, really bad losses too to start off his first year uh, as head coach. And they kind of got hot towards the end of the season. Only finished with five wins, but it looked like they were on an upward trajectory. And then last year, they started. I I think they actually didn't start well again. So maybe that's something that Flores and company to work. Yeah, they start one and three before they won like six in a row uh, before that, and that's what kind of set the foundation for them to go on this this 10 and six run and almost make the playoffs this year. So you're kind of looking at definitely Miami being one of those teams to uh, make a run uh, into the playoffs and get back there for the first time since it uh, looks like 2016. Yeah, that's going to be the, 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 the team that I'm really looking forward to watching um, in that division. I mean, I think Buffalo can be very exciting, but there's just so much intrigue around the Miami dolphins and what they could potentially be very quickly. And I think that's the thing that's really exciting about them. So we move on to the Bills, who I think you and I agree right now are the class uh, of this division, poised to repeat uh, as champions of the division. We're 13-3 and three, uh, last year. Um, made it all the way to the AFC Championship game before they ran into that buzzsaw in Kansas City mm-hmm. and uh, gave them all they could handle before 
you know, reality set in, I guess you could say, <laughs> there at the end. Um, had some very interest, had a very interesting playoff run, you know, where they, they had that tight down to the last play game against Indianapolis in the wild card round. And right. then what looked like Baltimore about to send this game to overtime before a pick six interception turned that game on its ear. And, mm-hmm. you know, then it's like, okay, 17 to three, defensive struggle. Baltimore can't get anything going uh, on offense. So Buffalo wins this one, and then they go to Kansas City and and struggle with the Chiefs and end up losing uh, that football game. So they kind of got to the AFC um, championship game by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin, and then the better team, you know, comes out uh, on top in the AFC championship game. So I know that this is a team that's probably looking to, you know, fix what with what went wrong last year so they can contend with KC this time around. Yeah, and, and you look for them to find a way to sort of increase longevity, not just because of the what was really kind of an ineffective, what could have been considered an ineffective, a series of ineffective performances in the playoffs. Yeah. As you mentioned, they kind of barely got through the games that they did get through. You also have a 17th game added to the season yeah. before they get to the playoffs this time around. And so you're looking for them to increase longevity. And I think you can kind of see them paying attention to that, right? I mean, the the focus on the offensive line, they drafted Tommy Doyle. They continue to put some focus there with Spencer Brown as well, a guy out of uh, uh, northern Illinois, if I remember correctly. And, you know, they have your, you know, this Josh Allen, this quarterback that – you know, had so many questions coming into 2020. And then all of a sudden he was an MVP conversation. Yeah. You know, by the time you got past and a solid one at that. Yeah. Yeah. And he had a fantastic season. And a big part of that was, you know, Stefan Diggs being added to that team via the trade with Minnesota before that season. I'm looking forward to seeing these two guys back on the field with an off season. <laughs> yeah. I think that's going to be really great. And then they also added Emmanuel Sanders over the season as well. He's going to take on number one. There in uh, there in Buffalo, quite the statement for the uh, 33 year old wide receiver <laughs> coming in there. But, hey, you know, do what you got to do, man. Uh, but, you know, he'll be another weapon for them. He had over 700 receiving yards with the New Orleans Saints and an offense that never really got the passing game going because they couldn't figure out what it looked like without Michael Thomas. And then Emmanuel Sanders was out and then this person was injured, blah, blah, blah. And, and so they just had so many of those question marks. But he was kind of their most solid receiving option. I think you'll see him translate that over in Buffalo. I won't be surprised if he gets ahead of Cole Beasley in terms of playing time, even though Cole Beasley has been in that system for longer, uh, because Emmanuel Sanders really does still find a way to continue to contribute with whatever team he's on. Yeah, it's kind of a sickness with him, actually. Mm-hmm. It just seems to be you know, an, an immediate contributor or, or a big-time player, even though he's never – I don't think he's been the number one option on the team that he's been on yet, but he's nope. probably Not been the most reliable target in pretty much everywhere he's been thus yep. far. So, uh, I mean, San Francisco, Denver, you know, and New Orleans uh, as well and and things like that. So, you know, he's never been the number one guy wherever he's been, but he's probably been his quarterback's favorite target uh, in uh, in each of his uh, NFL stops. And I'm sure that uh, Josh Allen will love him as an alternative to Stephon Diggs, who was a beast for the Bills last year. So, I mean, happy that that guy's out of my division. We don't have to watch him terrorize us (laughs) twice a year. Uh, anymore and uh, you know it's like it's I mean just to compare the trades for uh, Mm -hmm. Hopkins to Arizona versus Diggs to Buffalo I mean Arizona stole Hopkins from Houston 
Buffalo paid a lot for Stefan Diggs, and I'm sure if you asked them if they'd do it again, they'd do it two times over for how well it worked out and how happy he is in Buffalo and how well he played last year. It's just, you know, that's a return on investment right there, even though Buffalo paid plenty to get their hands on him. Yeah, they paid a really premium price, but they got a really premium, uh, you know, product back in For terms sure. of what he's added to over to that offense. The defensive side, a lot of fun stuff to watch too. They grabbed Gregory Rousseau, also out of Miami, probably the second best pass rusher, perhaps mm-hmm. uh, in terms of draft evaluation going into this draft. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if he's able to push guys like Jerry Hughes or Mario Addison for any playing time. They they rotate their defensive line pretty successfully, too. So I think that will be something to continue to watch. But I think one of the things I'm really excited to see are the continued progress that we've seen from three players, in particular on the defensive side, uh, Ed Oliver. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds, who was added to ESPN's top 10 linebackers list not here not too long ago. I think he's mm. one of the more underrated linebackers in the NFL, despite the fact he's only been in since 2018. So that's that's probably why. And uh, is he, they, is, uh, has he turned 18 yet? Because wasn't know, he like right? the yeah. youngest player ever drafted yeah. uh, when the yeah. Bills took him in 2018? Yeah, which is insane because he the guy is for all intents and purposes the guy is thirty six years old. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. Like he is just he's like LeBron James. Thing. He looked forty when he was twenty two. <laughs> So, yeah, right. exactly. Exactly. And then, of course, cornerback Tremaine Edmonds, who uh, excuse me, I'm so sorry, cornerback Tredavious White, there you go. Uh, who has been outstanding uh, ever since coming into the NFL. So very much looking forward to those guys and a really good safety tandem there, too, and Jordan Poirier and Micah Hyde. So you just look at this team not having a lot of, of holes. I mean, certainly places where they can improve, but not any places to where they're of detriment. Yeah, I mean, and this is another team kind of in the mold of the Dolphins. They just did it a few years Earlier, they hire Sean McDermott and they kind of try to tear the foundation down uh, and start building it uh, back up. They draft Tremaine Edmonds, they get Ed Oliver and, you know, the other pieces. They go and they get uh, uh, Josh Allen in t- was 2019, I believe, when they drafted him. He, was, he, it was Tremaine 2018. Edmonds, You're right. Same no, draft that's, that's right. That was the same draft class. You're right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's like they've they went ahead and they made the risk to start over again. They bring in McDermott, who was a hot defensive coordinator from uh, the Panthers, uh, and then they, they go forward uh, from there, and they've slowly been uh, building it up. And, you know, the last couple of seasons in 2019, they won 10 games and made the playoffs, and then 2020, they make it back. And, uh, you know, they were serious contenders going into the playoffs. Maybe their performances made it look like, okay, you've still got a little work left to do before you're the class of the AFC, but you're definitely deserved to be where you are, which was in the AFC championship game last year. Yeah, absolutely. And they're an interesting team too. average age of 26 and a half yeah. uh, years old last year. So, so there's that longevity the, you were talking about. Like these, yeah. these guys have the, have the young horses to be able to go the, go, go the distance here for a while. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think they only got younger this offseason. So <laughs> they'll continue to have that. And they might have drafted my favorite name in the entire draft uh, as I'm looking at it. Uh, Spencer Brown, by the way, Northern Iowa, not Northern, Northern Iowa. Northern Iowa. Thank Northern you. Iowa, yes. And uh, their second round pick, Boogie oh. Basham, uh, a defensive oh. end out of Wake Forest. His name is Boogie. Yeah. This is a guy that would have been one of the Key and Peel All-Stars for sure. Boogie <laughs> Basham? Basham? Are you kidding me? Come on. Right. That definitely thought, would have made the list. I thought for a second you might be going with the cornerback they drafted in the sixth round, Rashad Wild Goose. Oh, my God. I love that name. <laughs> I got to go with Boogie, though, if that's uh, got to go with Boogie, especially if that is his name. God bless his parents for naming him Boogie. But uh, yeah, for sure, because I don't know if you saw I mean, it's they don't do it anymore, unfortunately. But the very last one that they did, 
they had their own made. I'm talking about Key and Peele, where they had their own made up names, and then they were literally sprinkling in real NFL players, like actual at names? the same oh, time. I haven't seen that one. Yeah. That's funny. That was the last <laughs> one that they did because they weren't. They didn't have the show anymore, so it was kind of like a viral release type thing that they did where it was uh, like, here's this guy, here's this guy. And then Debrickashaw Ferguson, I offensive tackle, you know, that kind of thing. That's one of my favorite names yeah. ever. That, that was kind of the name that gave birth to the whole thing. I just, I love it. according to Key and Peele, like Debrickashaw Ferguson. Oh uh, yeah. There's yeah, that one's pretty good. But you know, with the AFC, what AFC East here, I mean, it's, it's a division that seems to be pretty much locked in place it's just a matter of who's going to finish in second, to be honest with you. Is it is New England going to be able to use all of these new acquisitions and return to the Patriot way and make a run uh, at this division again? Or will the Dolphins keep their ascension and keep New England in the background for now? Can Buffalo maintain the success that they've had the last two years, making it to the playoffs, appearing to be one of the heavy contenders uh, in the AFC, or... Will they run out of gas and fall to the Patriots who are working their way back up? It's it's an interesting division to look at. One where it's seemingly the answers are already there, but that's why they play the games. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a, one of the more intriguing ones to watch develop and see how that seventeenth game factors in if this division comes yeah. down to being close. Yeah, absolutely. So we move on to the AFC North, and here's a team that my listeners and I have heard quite a bit about uh, thus far because we, we play the AFC North uh, this year, and I'm happy to say that the Bears will be defending their AFC North crown uh, against these teams because the last two seasons that my beloved Chicago Bears have played the AFC North, we've swept the division both times. Nice. Yeah. Even nice. in 2017, when we went 5-11, and we were four and zero against the AFC North, one and eleven against everybody else. That was a, a very interesting season, to say the least. But uh, outstanding, yeah. I mean, we we pulled one out of our ass week three against the Steelers to start things off. We had this overtime battle with the Ravens on the road, uh, no less. And then, of course, the last two were we beat Cincinnati and Cincinnati, and then the zero and sixteen Browns, second to last game of the season, we beat them. Uh, in Chicago. So it was like once we cleared the Pittsburgh and, and Baltimore hurdles, it was pretty much in the bag after that. But uh, this is a division that sent three teams to the playoffs last year in the Browns, the, the Ravens and the and the Steelers. And, you know, we've got Cincinnati with the with Joe Burrow and we'll talk about them here in a minute. And, you know, who knows if they're going to be able to keep putting it together. And because they were kind of getting to something before Burrow got hurt last year, which is what kind of makes them intriguing. If Burrow can come back at 100%, things are looking good. He's already running on it. He's working out and uh, and all that kind of stuff, despite how late in the season he got hurt. You know, it, it really comes down to, you know, just how, how well did his rehab go and how can they protect him? Because yeah. we've already talked about how they missed out on their best opportunity to do so uh, in the draft, but... You know, I guess they're depending on old Riley Reef to be the guy that's going to protect uh, Joe Burrow's uh, blind side and help protect him. But the real wild card in this division, I think, is the Baltimore Ravens because mm-hmm. Cleveland is who they are, and right. they look primed to win the division this year. I think that's where the favorite is right now. Is like everyone's looking at Cleveland, how they finished the year, you know, how they were pretty much the team aside from the Buccaneers beating them uh, in the Super Bowl 
the team that had the best shot of beating Cleveland or Kansas City in the playoffs last year. They gave them a hell of a game in the divisional round before falling short uh, in that one. So it's up to the Ravens. Will they return to the top of the AFC North, or will they let Cleveland ascend to the top? Because <laughs> after talking to all four representatives, uh, three of which were locked on uh, guys, mm-hmm. by the way, um, nobody but Chris Carter for the Steelers believes the Steelers are going to be much of anything this year. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> so he was really the only one who was like, no, nah, man, the Steelers are going to be great this season. The other three were like, man, don't look for the Steelers to do much uh, this yeah. year. Ben Ben's on his way out, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's yeah. not going to be pretty, which of course is when the Steelers will go 14 and two and then run rough shot through everybody. Just when it just, it's like the Godfather three, just when you thought they were out, they pull you back in <laughs> kind of thing. Just when you think the Steelers are done, they'll have, this season Mike Tomlin looks like he's on his way out nope I'm sticking around for season number 600 as head coach of this team because I turned 43 this year Ross and in my lifetime the Steelers have had three head coaches three head coaches you know (laughs) the Cleveland Browns had three head coaches in three years right you know with (laughs) the fancy Freddie Kitchens and who it was that he took oh um what's his name Herb Jackson oh right yeah so three coaches in three years and the Steelers have had three in my 43 years of living on this planet. So, you know, Chuck Noll when I was born, uh, Bill Cowher, uh, you know, forever. And then, you know, Mike Tomlin since, what, 2005, 2006. So, yeah, it's uh, still never had a losing season in his career. Unbelievable. You know, he's That's finished insane. 500, but he's never been a loser. I don't know if they're going to be losers this year. That 17th game definitely makes that an option uh, for mm-hmm. them because there's no finishing 500 anymore ever right. unless you tie a football game now. Then they right. go eight, eight, and one. That's your best chance of going five hundred. Uh, but even then, does it does it measure out to five hundred? I mean, the no, the math probably works just weird. above. Yeah, it's so, kind of as a half win. So, but it's up to the to the Ravens how this how this division will turn out. Will they return to their twenty nineteen form where they went fourteen and two and they look like okay, this is the Super Bowl squad right here before they ran into the the Titans in the playoffs that year, or will they be and also ran like they were last year? Yeah, I mean, oh, man, I I think they're the team that has to answer the most questions. Absolutely, even though, yeah. Yeah, even though they're the team that has, I mean, three years ago, even two years ago, if you look at this roster, you go, oh, yeah, they're a competitive team. But because you just don't know what's going to happen with uh, Ben Roethlisberger at this point, you just have no idea what he's going to be like, what's going to happen, how it's going to how that's going to go over. And, you know, we hear it every year, right? Like, oh. He's in the best shape of his life. Sure, 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 sure. But <laughs> <laughs> he's also been in the NFL since 2004. Four, yeah. So do you really just mean to say he's in the best shape that he can be in at this point in his life? Right. Because that's more likely. And so I, I think that. And then, of course, the fact that they it still drives me nuts that they spent that first round pick on Najee Harris as well. Like, like, don't get me wrong. I think Najee Harris will be a good NFL player. He will be a good NFL running back. He'll do everything. He'll be, you know, kind of in the mold of an Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, these guys that are, you know, these, um, you know, receiving threats from the backfield mm-hmm. and all. But I was just, I'm, I'm still very anti running back in the first round. Yeah. Especially when you have as many questions to answer across your roster as the Pittsburgh Steelers do at this point as we go into 2020. One. Yeah, it's it's a hard move to justify. And granted, you know, one of the things that Chris Carter talked about a lot when I had him on the show was how much they hope that Najee Harris will stabilize the running game, which was non-existent 
for them, right. which is completely uncharacteristic of a Pittsburgh Steeler football team. I mean, just think mm-hmm. about the history of this this franchise: Franco Harris, Jerome Bettis, uh, even even Le'Veon Bell, and you know, even even just in recent years, James Conner. You know, although right. he wasn't the killer that those other guys were, you know, they could run the football. Uh, with those guys, but last season the run game was virtually non-existent. It made them a one, you know, a one-trick pony. And once defenses figured out how to defend that, the Steelers went from eleven and zero, the class of the NFL, this team that was unstoppable, to losing five out of their last six, including the wild card game to Cleveland, uh, to right. to make the earliest exit in the playoffs they possibly could. Right. Yeah. So, I mean. Ugh. And then and then the other part of it, too, is, you know, obviously you look at the the lack of bye week, uh, you know, the or the the reduction of bye weeks available going into the playoffs. There's only only the top seed gets to buy now right. as opposed to the top two seeds, which maybe could have saved them at some point. Like there, there's so many different factors here in addition to the questions around the most important position on the field for them. Because that offense, even if they do stabilize the run game, make no mistake, the offense runs through Big Ben. Yeah. And so if he is down at any point in the season, if he's not playing well, if things aren't working, whatever it might be. And I mean, I, I'm speaking to this from, you know, the experience of watching, you know, an end of career quarterback last season yeah. in, in Drew Brees, who did an, an excellent job, but didn't have all of his tools available, but for one game. Right. And that was the Detroit Lions game where they came back 14-0 that I'm sure Chicago Bears fans loved. But <laughs> I think that like outside of that matchup and he'll, he he says this all the time too, Drew Brees does, that that was the one game that he had all of his tools. And I, I worry that you're going to see something similar with Big Ben. And then because of that, how successful can this team really be without a full game plan that can operate around the New Orleans Saints, Sean Payton? They had a full game plan that could operate regardless of where Drew Brees can or can't put the ball. Mm-hmm. They had a run game that was able to do that. They had a, a, a designed offense that was built and predicated on short and intermediate area throws, utilizing quick, quick passes to as an extension of the run game. Are you going to see a shift to that for Pittsburgh? Because that's never been their game. And so if you're not going to see a shift to that and if you're going to see them continue with their same sort of downfield attack that tries to maximize guys like Juju uh, Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool, who had a fantastic rookie season last year, by the way, I just don't see them being able to make the appropriate adjustments to build a vehicle that can drive Big Ben as opposed to a vehicle that Big Ben has to drive. Yeah, I mean, they definitely uh, have a defense that can help them stabilize things that can keep them in football games. But as I've seen with my beloved Chicago Bears, that can only take you so Mm -hmm. far. Your offense really has to be able to do its part to be successful overall, Uh, not just being able to, you know, win a 17 to 14 game or or, or something uh, like that. Every now and then there's going to be a busted play. There's going to be a bad day from your defense where we're going to need the offense to bail them out. And will they be able to do that? Because with the last, what the last six games of the season, including that wild card round, uh, said was that if if Ben's not lighting up the board, then you know we're not going to be able to do much uh, on on the offensive side. So if you basically you sit back and 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 just wait for Ben to make a mistake, which plenty of in that wild card game, uh, you can pick the Steelers apart and make it look easy. 
Yeah. I mean, that insane game they played in the regular season against the Cleveland Browns was just something else. And then <laughs> and then, of course, that playoff game was out just wild, too. I mean, just I from one, the from the jump with the snap over oh, Ben's head that resulted in man. a touchdown for the right. Browns. It's like, well, this is how this one's going to go. Right. <laughs> it set the tone very early, very, right? very early. And then it was just like a comedy of errors. After that, right. it's like before the first quarter is even over, it was 21 or 28 to nothing already. It's like, okay, well, too bad there's not another game to watch because I'd be flipping over to that. This one's over. Right, right. So. Uh, the biggest loss that that defense took, just to your point about how, how great they are over on the defensive side and how they maintain that defense, was Bud Dupree, yeah. who's now over in Tennessee. Tennessee yeah. And honestly, like I, I think Bud Dupree was a, was, a great, was a good player for them. He fit in their system. He was a Pittsburgh Steeler to the core like he sure. was exactly what it was that they needed eight tackles for a loss last season eight sacks as well but he only played in 11 games and he still had that type of production 39 and a half sacks over the course of his career he had 11 and a half in 2019 like he did all the things that you needed opposite jj watt excuse me tj watt uh but i don't think that that loss is insurmountable for that defense yeah yeah i mean i tj is um he's a stud uh, for sure, and the rest of the defense looks to be in pretty decent shape. You know, outside of that, they brought Tyson uh, Alualu back. Um, mm-hmm. They have you know Steve Tuitt in the middle and uh, and things like that. Devin Bush has been outstanding for them as a you know their highest highest drafted player in God knows how long. Right. Um, you know, number they dra- traded up to take him at number ten in twenty twenty or twenty nineteen uh, to take him up, mm-hmm. and the the trade for Minka Fitzpatrick last year was genius. So uh, and everything worth what they gave up to to get him from uh, Miami uh, and everything that's working like gangbusters and uh, you know they're gonna have to figure out how to sign these kids too because Megan Fitzpatrick's still on his rookie deal from when he was with uh, Miami and it's it's gonna come time to pay the piper and will they be able to keep this team uh, this defense together because TJ Watt's got to get yeah. paid too and right. you're probably gonna have to pay them top dollar uh, in order to stay and decisions have to be made when that's the scenario so yeah. um you know, we'll see. Uh, like I said, I'm right now. I'm down on the Steelers, and I have them in third uh, in the division, just ahead of Cincinnati, who I think is still working on it, uh, kind of thing. But um, don't be surprised. I'm just going to put that out there right now. Do not be surprised if the Steelers mess around and win this division this year, because that's <laughs> what the Steelers do. Just when you think, I mean, how many times did Bill Cowher resurrect his right. job in Pittsburgh in his 15 years as head coach? We're like, hey. They were six and ten last year, so don't expect much from. Oh wow, they're thirteen and three, and they went to the Super Bowl. Look at that! So right. they did that many, many times yeah. under Bill Cowher. They've done it again with with Tomlin. Just when you think they're about to fall off, something happens, something changes, some random draft choice or a free agent signing of some some kind turns this whole thing on its head, and the next thing you know, the Steelers are the team to be reckoned with. So yeah, absolutely. You might Biggest be down question. on them. Just don't go ahead. I was going to say, biggest question that they'll need to answer on the defensive side is going to be the cornerback spot. They lost both Steven Nelson and uh, Mike Hilton, um, mm. who is a great slot cornerback for them. So that'll be the position to watch. But there's still an opportunity for them to have a little reunion uh, with Steven Nelson, too, who's still on the market at the moment. Okay. I mean, they have Joe Hayden, who was a top pick for the Browns way back when. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, he's there. And looks like they didn't draft one. So that's interesting. Right. Um, yeah, not not somebody that's going to challenge to be your starter. I think they grabbed uh, uh, Shakur Brown out of uh, uh, Michigan State. I think, if I remember correctly, I think. Well, he was an undrafted free agent. I think that they brought in. Yeah, because actually, I that, just read that um, 
that Michigan State, for the first time in 80 years, did not have a single player right. drafted this year. So, yeah, wow. anybody so from... another shot for Detroit Lions fans. Man. <laughs> you know, and I don't do that because I actually, you know, very much like the guy that I have on for the Lions. He's, he's a good friend of mine. But, uh, yeah, they're low-hanging fruit, dude. It's easy to pick yep. on the easy to yeah. pick on the lines but um deal with it yeah deal with it uh but the other uh since we're playing with this theme uh the Steelers drafted with their last choice Presley Harvin the third who is a five foot eleven 263 pound punter oh <laughs> oh man out of Georgia gonna... Tech 5'11", 263 he's a chubby offensive lineman at the high school level uh, is what he is, right? And he's he a punter with Pat McAfee on some tackling over the offseason yeah. too. Yeah, so that's quite that's a Presley Harvin the third. Awesome, yeah, my dude's also a, a scholar and something. He has to be with that name. Yeah, it's but amazing, amazing. Presley <laughs> Harvin the third. Will he come in where wearing one of those frilly shirts with the collar hanging out of his jersey uh, type thing? Just because that's what that's what Presley Harvins do. You know what I mean? Yeah. So while we're working our way, let's talk about the uh, the Bengals here because I know we've got a thing or two to say about the Bengals and just going straight to draft night. They've got the fifth overall pick in the draft. They are the first team in the top five that does not need a quarterback because one, two, and three, all three of those teams, Jacksonville, the Jets, um, the 49ers, all taking quarterbacks. We knew that going in. Atlanta, as we mentioned before, was kind of a maybe. Do they take the best prospect in the draft in Kyle Pitts, or do they think towards the future and take Justin Fields or Mac Jones to be the quarterback of the future, even though Matt Ryan's got a few good years left? They go with Kyle Pitts. So here we are with Cincinnati. All four of those teams pass on the thing that most of us believe they need the most, and that's an offensive tackle to protect last year's number one pick, Joe Burrow, uh, the quarterback. And instead, they go with his old passing mate in Jamar Chase, a, a move you and I both question, but that's the road that they're going with, and we'll see how it works out. Yeah, and you know one of the one of the things that a lot of folks that cover the Cincinnati Bengals kind of put on the radar for everyone around the question marks around why would they draft Jamar Chase? They would say, well, I mean, you draft Jamar Chase, then you turn around, and you can still get a very good offensive tackle in the second round, and then they went on to not also draft. They went on right. to also not draft an offensive tackle that's- in the second round. So yeah, they took even, a guard, even, not a tackle. Right, right, exactly. And so even as they, you know, turn the corner there, uh, they still didn't address the biggest need that they had on the team outside of Riley Reef, who you mentioned before, mm-hmm. on the right side. <laughs> right. Um, and so you're hoping that Jonah Williams, you know, continues to develop, I guess, or that, you know, a guy like Hakeem Adeniji out of uh, Kansas from last year can maybe step into that role. I'm not sure what they plan on doing at that tackle position, if I'm being completely honest. But it is it, 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 they did not make the right choice, in my opinion, because they also didn't back up and circle back around and address the biggest position of need throughout this offseason. Yeah, you hate to see teams do that. And, you know, it's, it's standing there and it's, it's there to be had. You can absolutely right. have the guy that you need the most. And granted, no team in the league likes to draft for need or anything like right. that. But when the draft, when, when your need happens to coincide with best player available, you take that guy. Yeah. You got to take him. Your top need was an offensive tackle. Penny Sewell was the best person left on the board at that time. He absolutely was. And instead, 
you pass on him, you go with Jamar Chase, who was probably the second best player on the board. Uh, but then we're just we're splitting hairs at that point. But yeah. you didn't need Jamar Chase the way you needed Penny Sewell, and your needs and your you know and your your you know best player available happened to coincide at that moment, and you passed on it. And that's going to be something that you're going to look back on for years if this doesn't work out. Yeah, that's that's a really good point too. Is right like. This doesn't go away with the 2021 right. season. <laughs> yeah. You're going to have to keep coming back to this, especially if Joe Burrow gets hurt again. Yep. And then at that point, you have to raise questions about his viability as a healthy player. Mm-hmm. And it's not his fault. Right. right. Like it's it's not his fault if that happens. And so it's it's just not the situation as a Bengals fan that I can imagine that you walk into the 2021 season and go feeling really good about my team these days. Like there still has to be a lot of concern around their ability to be able to protect Joe Burrow. Now you have a great receiver core there. I mean, Jamar Chase, T Higgins, right? T Higgins is like your third guy with Tyler Boyd there, or, you know, those two guys revolve two and three, probably. I mean, you've got a great set of options there for them, but can you, are you going to be able to take advantage of it? You have a, you know, a talented running back in Joe Mixon, but is he going to be able to produce because of the lack of attention that has been paid to the offensive line by this franchise? It, it's kind of wild to me. But and then they also turned around and gave you know a ton of money to a one-year performer in Trey Hendrickson that I don't know was really justified because there's no evidence that that production that he had, that 13 and a half sacks that he had in New Orleans last season, was actually going to maintain yeah over time so you also watch them invest good money in a franchise that often doesn't spend money they're usually pretty frivolous like they don't like to spend money and they again didn't do it for a premier position in terms of well i guess they did it for a premier position but not the one that protects their quarterback yeah so i mean as they say the Bengals gonna bangle and they definitely did right there (laughs) if if this stunts the the growth of of Joe Burrow or if God like we talked about if it if it hampers his career this will be right. the decision that people will look at and be like that's that's why this happened to Joe Burrow because you could have had especially if Penny Sewell turns out to be anything in Detroit you right. know because he goes two picks later to the Lions so he'll be dealing with Khalil Mack for the next couple of years but you know if 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 that ends up being one of the things that hurts Joe Burrow he doesn't become you know what he was in college because he could not throw from underneath a stack of bodies, this will be the move that they look at and regret uh, going forward. So um, hopefully it's, it works out and that they are as dynamic as they appear to be on paper. Because on, on paper, the, the offense is good to go. You know, mm-hmm. they, they have Joe Mixon. They, they have Jamar Chase to go with T. Higgins and, and Tyler Boyd uh, and things like that. You know, Jonah Williams was a top offensive tackle coming out of the, the draft, but he got hurt. Uh, right. Missed his entire rookie season with a with a knee injury. Riley Reef has been mostly reliable in the places that mm-hmm. he's been. Uh, he made he did a tour of the AFC North everywhere but Chicago before he moved right. on to the <laughs> AFC North uh, to play with uh, Cincinnati and, and everything. So you know Jackson Carmen was a good player for Clemson. Uh, he'll come in at uh, at the the left guard. Uh, position so it's not the worst offensive line in football it's just that you could have had the best offensive lineman on the board and you didn't take him so yeah if 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 Joe Burrow you know ends up uh, his career suffers for that move you know that'll be the one that Bengal fans point to the most is like well we could have had Penny Sewell but we took Jamar Chase instead 
So a thousand percent, yeah. a thousand percent. Like if you're looking at that offensive line, I'll take out of those five position grades, I'll take an A, a B, and a couple of C's before I'll take you know three, you know all five, all C's. five C's. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So we move on to the uh, to the Browns here, and you know I'm I'm an old sentimentalist when it comes to the Browns. I'm a child of the late '80s and early '90s. So when I was growing up and when I was getting into the NFL universe. Uh, I was cutting my teeth on AFC championship games between the Broncos and the Browns. Mm. You know, those two classic games that they, they both have names. Unfortunately, neither of them goes in Cleveland's way in the drive and the fumble. But those are classic, classic football games that are enjoyable from start to finish uh, whenever you watch them. And the old days of Marty Schottenheimer with with Bernie Kosar and, and, you know, Alvin Mack and, and uh, Eric Metcalf and all those guys, you know, it's, it's a, it's a good time, you know, for that team. And it's the team that I grew up watching to see them finally come back and stop being the lowly Cleveland Browns and play like a good football team was very refreshing to watch last year. Yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing about it, I know there's a lot of people that you'll look at the Cleveland Browns and they say, Oh, they were, they were a better team without Odo Beckham jr. Uh, first of all, stop. <laughs> they, they were a, they were a good they were a better team at that point in the season. Yes, yeah. that is that is absolutely true. But if they're able to add Odell Beckham Jr. back into this offense and get a healthy Odell Beckham Jr. in twenty twenty one, I think this offense is going to take even another step uh, forward. I think Baker Mayfield did a, a a pretty good job. His deep passing numbers weren't great, mm-hmm. uh, and but he also didn't really have a proverbial deep threat either during that 2020 uh season i mean guys like you know jarvis landry and richard higgins and i guess richard higgins is probably the closest for you because he's got some burners on him but now they add a guy like anthony schwartz out of auburn who's a legitimate track star (laughs) and then you also have odo beckham jr ideally coming back and hopefully able to stay healthy throughout nick chubb somehow continues to be one of the most underrated running backs in the nfl yeah i love that guy yeah, and it's insane how much credit he doesn't get, both as a running back, but also he has the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield as well. And then they have a really good thing going with, despite his past and everything, of yeah. course, that you can point to, they have a really good really good thing going between him and Kareem Hunt being a really good sort of change of pace back in terms of how they're able to utilize him. And it's funny because Kareem Hunt tends to get a lot of those snaps in the uh, in the red zone where you would imagine Nick Chubb to get most of those snaps. But, you know, Nick Chubb also can bust out a 90 yard run if you need them to. So, you know, not all things are as they seem, but this uh, Cleveland Browns offense, ideally getting Odo Beckham Jr. back next season is only going to get better as opposed to one of the narratives that was out there about how they were better without him. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a credit to Kevin Stefanski uh, mm-hmm. and their uh, brand new um, uh, general manager, um, Andrew Barry. Um, uh-huh who's another one of those guys, God bless him, who's 10 years younger than me, but t- looks 10 years older somehow. Like, just <laughs> the old Ken Stabler yeah, effect. Just not a, not a handsome fella. Let me tell you. But uh, yeah, cause when I looked at him, I was, cause they kept talking about how, Oh, he's the youngest general manager in the history of the NFL. And I'm like, he's only 32 years old and blah, blah, blah. And then I pull up a picture of Andrew Barry. I was like, that dude's 61 years old. What are you talking about? He's 32. It's like, please. It's like, okay, fine. Okay. Good. God bless him. Dude, 32. You're not wearing it well, but all right, we'll go with that. And, you know, but those two guys come in and it seemed like overnight they changed the culture 
uh, of yeah. the Browns. And, and, you know, and the one of the things that that comes with success is that it's not as hard to sell people on being Cleveland Browns after you've actually had some very solid success after you gave the defending AFC champions all they could handle uh, in the divisional round. And if not for the stupidest rule in football, you might have actually been a lot closer in that whole fumbling out of the end zone goes back to the goes to the defense. I hate that rule. I hate it. It's the one of the worst rules. It it definitely is one of the worst. Yeah, it's just the stupidest rule. It cost them a touchdown in a game where they were at a premium uh, with the Chiefs. And it just it's ridiculous. But, um, you know, if not for that, who knows how that game uh, ends up uh, being. It's not quite so hard to sell. You're not just coming to Cleveland to get tape to play for somebody else next year. uh, Or you're coming to Cleveland to make your money because nobody else will pay you uh, kind of thing. You're actually going to Cleveland to win football games and you have a legitimate chance at doing so. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the biggest question is going to be health over on the defensive side. Yeah. Right. Guys like Dinzo Ward, Grant Delpit, you know, Greedy Williams, even the guy that they added this offseason and Jadavion Clowney. Right. Yeah. What a long journey that guy took over the course of the last two seasons. But, (laughs) you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, even Greg Newsome, their first round pick, has, Mm -hmm. you know, some injury questions around him for some injuries that he suffered throughout his collegiate career. And so I think that with all of that, uh, you'll look to see if they're able to stay healthy on the defensive side and to where the offense isn't having to outperform the underperformance of the defense. And if they can maintain that, then this offense should be able to cook at its usual pace and actually perform pretty well, maybe even play ball control, which you don't see in Cleveland very mm-hmm. often over the last couple of years. Jeremiah Usukoromoa, also who they drafted in the yeah. second round, also had some health concerns, which were the reasons why he dropped to the second round. So if they're able to be healthy on the defensive side, they get – you know, continued production from their offense, even if Odell Beckham Jr. can't be healthy. Obviously, it's healthy, help, helpful if he is. They're in a really good position going into 2021. Yeah, and I like this team uh, a lot. Mm-hmm. And hopefully... Oh, the, and they added John Johnson, too, out of... Um, well, John Los Johnson Angeles. and Troy Hill uh, right. from the uh, from the Ram. They basically picked the... Anyone who wasn't Jalen Ramsey is now on the Cleveland Browns, uh, <laughs> it would appear. Because uh, they went out and, and, and picked, uh, picked the Rams secondary clean. Uh, there and like you said, they added Jadavion Clowney, which gives us two of the scariest bookend pass rushers that we have uh, in the NFL. Because Miles Garrett is absolutely worthy of the number one pick that he was back in twenty uh, twenty seventeen, uh, and uh, you know Jadavion Clowney, another former first round uh, pick as well. You know if he can stay healthy and complement uh, Miles Garrett, that makes both guys more dangerous because you can't double team both of them. You gotta you gotta pick your poison there. Who do you have your best shot of blocking one on one? You know, offensive tackles who play the Browns this year are gonna be earning their money, that's for sure. Yeah, that's for certain. <laughs> so but looking at this team, you know, I, I like them uh very much and and hope, like you said, that the the injury bug can can uh leave them alone because actually it's probably one of the things that hurt them in that game mm-hmm. in Kansas City is they're playing shorthanded. I mean, it's actually why everyone thought I didn't have a shot in hell against the Steelers. Because COVID took away half their coaching staff and, right. you know, they were already missing Odell Beckham and, and Greedy Williams and, you know, guys like that in that playoff game. And then the snap goes over Ben's head and we're like, oh, nope, they'll be fine. They're going to be OK. Yep. And, you know, <laughs> even though, you know, what was messed up is Stefanski's watching the game from home on television. He can't even like radio in right. you know, or anything like that, which I think is nonsense. But, you know, we have the technology. Let him use it uh, kind of thing. But 
whatever. They ended up winning the game anyway, and they won so in, in hilarious fashion, just 48 to 32. It wasn't even that close. But, uh, right. you know, and then they give the 22 to 17 that game against the – or, yeah, 22 to 17 the Chiefs. I mean, how big would that touchdown have been? Oh, it would have won the game. It would have been huge. Yeah, you know, been won the huge. game. I mean, so. you know, then you have Kansas City at the end of that game with an injured Patrick Mahomes – not playing and you know Chad Henney having to come in at one point yeah not playing for a first down but playing to get to the end zone like right. that's an entirely different game absolutely so and then finally we get back to the team that we kind of started talking about in the beginning as the true wild card here I mean and granted they don't have like you said they, they there's a lot of questions around uh the Ravens and and it there's you know will they be the team that they were in, in 2019 can Lamar Jackson return MVP form where he was unstoppable uh, in 2019, you know, and the Ravens themselves unstoppable uh, as well. Can they also get over the divisional hump, something that they haven't been able to do for quite some time now? They run into a brick wall when they get to the divisional round uh, the last couple of seasons, you know, were the moves that they made, and there weren't many. The Ravens, like many teams, kind of picked and chose their, uh, their, their, their moves here. You know, they signed Sammy Watkins. They bring in Kevin Zeitler to beef up the offensive line. Uh, Alejandro Villanueva. I don't know if he's going to be a starter or more of like a reliable backup kind of thing. Ronnie Stanley's coming back healthy. They drafted Ben Cleveland. So they're trying to shore up that offensive line because that was one of the things that hurt them in that playoff game against the, the Bills was that Lamar Jackson just had no help. No help. No. Uh, I mean, it's actually what led to the interception. He had to get rid of the ball and uh, somebody picked it off. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this it, it's going to be really, uh, it's going to be a tough one to kind of have an outlook on at this point. You know, mm-hmm. they they made that trade uh, sending Orlando Brown over to yeah. Kansas City because they didn't want to give him that left tackle money, uh, and then you know, but had that deal already ready for. Alejandro Villanueva, even though they didn't sign him until after the compensatory pick formula <laughs> wasn't a thing anymore. Uh, and so they, they've done some really interesting things there. And I thought they did a good job addressing the wide receiver position and making sure to give Lamar Jackson some additional options and some additional weapons so that he's not just having to run for a thousand yards again. Yeah. Uh, Rashad Bateman coming in from Minnesota. Tylen Wallace, who's coming in from Oklahoma State, who's a fantastic deep threat. As you mentioned, they signed uh, Sammy Watkins. They already have Hollywood Brown. There, another guy who changed his number, by the way, shifting to number five, going to the single digits. And so it'll be really, really intriguing to see how all of that ends up benefiting or not benefiting Lamar Jackson, depending upon how the offensive line performs. Yeah. J.K. Dobbins, I'm looking forward to being a lead guy. I think he earned that last season. I mean, they ended up moving on from Mark Ingram after a year because of how good J.K. Dobbins was. And this is a team that loves to run the football. So I'm excited to see him have a lead role. Yeah, and and as uh, as an old as as a child of the '80s in the old school, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust uh, kind of mentality, mm-hmm. I, I appreciate teams that focus on running uh, the yeah. football and that have success at it because it really has become more of an art than a necessity in the NFL uh, these days. And the passing game yeah. has become so prevalent uh, in the league. A team that can run the football and run it well uh, has become few and far between. And the Ravens specialize uh, in running. Uh, the football, so they you know become one of the more uh, satisfying teams, if nothing else, for me to watch uh, from time to time. Just watching the watching the fat guys up front get the job done and open up the holes and see the running back uh, do what he does. You know, it reminds me of the days of sweetness and uh, and, yeah. and those those glory days that I grew up watching. 
may he rest in peace. So, yeah. you know, it's it's interesting to, to you know to look at the Ravens and and wonder, you know, because I really do think that the the outcome of the AFC North hinges on them because I think they're yeah. either going to win the division or they're going to be in second or third uh, place here. You know, it's it's up to them to decide the fate. Uh, of the division. If they can beat the Browns, then great. And they'll be the team that goes in with the higher seed uh, in the playoff run. Or will they, will they be the one that's constantly on the road because they're playing at higher seeds because they couldn't get it done in the regular season? Yeah. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. This is this, their season hinges upon their ability to be able to perform within the, within the division and specifically against the Cleveland Browns. Right. Like, I mean, I imagine that they're all going to like, both of these teams are going to have winning records, but the head to head matchups may be what it is that separates them in the event of any tiebreakers or anything like that. Uh, Just like the Cleveland Browns, I think that defense is going to be a big part of the question as well for Baltimore. But I think that it hinges a little bit more on the offense's ability to be able to produce uh, multidimensionally mm-hmm. as opposed to only having the one dimension of the run game, right? Like if the, if the run game can be where they start, what they rely on and what they utilize to set up some, you know, potential shots downfield, like we saw in that really, really exciting game between Baltimore and Cleveland last year, which yeah, by the way, yes, Lamar Jackson went to the bathroom. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> he went to the bathroom. It's fine. It's okay. It's like, uh, why is but, that? Why was that a thing? By the way, so you had to use the bathroom, dude. It happens. I mean, it's right. It's nature. You had to. It's fine. Even if, you know, if it was one or two, who cares? You had to go. Right. You had to go. Matter. Like, it's you okay. Went. It happens. Nature yeah. calls, as they say. It's not embarrassing. <laughs> it, it really isn't. I don't know why that was a thing or why they had to lie or I was changing this or I had to go dad or so whatever right. his excuse was. And they like, tried to pull the whole. Uh, yeah, no, he has a uh, he's getting a, a he was getting an IV because he had cramps. He's got a bandage on. And then, like, come on, anyone can rewind <laughs> and see that the bandage was there beforehand. We're smarter yeah. than that. Like, it's OK. You had cramps because you had mature. to poop, man. Just, just say right. it, you know. <laughs> it's okay. You had to go take uh, care of it. There's no porta potties on the sidelines. You had to go inside. <laughs> but what an incredible game! I mean, he gets to say, "Oh, one I of my favorite back. games last year for sure." Oh, it was wild, wild good. And uh, you know, but even with the questions on the defensive side, which there will be some, the safety position in particular, their ability to be able to generate a pass rush, the middle of the 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 defense. Patrick Queen had a bit of an up and down. Uh, rookie season, which you would expect from a starting rookie linebacker, of mm-hmm. course. But Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey, that's the best cornerback tandem in football, as far as I'm concerned. Or at least they're the, the ones that jump to mind first when I think about that. For and sure. so, yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're in a really good space there, but what can they do around that? <laughs> this episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by the Spotify Green Room. Formerly known as the Locker Room app, guys, Spotify Green Room is a live audio-only sports talk platform, free to download and use. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. It's perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. Share your own experiences on the app. Start or join ongoing conversations. Watch games together. React to the biggest news, rumors, and games. And of course. I host a weekly show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on the Spotify Green Room. The Bears Talk Underground presents Club 34-7. Be sure and join me. Come through and talk with me live. 
All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS or Android app store, create a profile, link to your Twitter, and join into the group. Follow me to be notified when my room goes live. And, of course, every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern, is when Club 34-7 uh, hits the air. So be sure to join in on the fun, guys. You don't want to miss it. And be sure to follow me on the uh, on the app so that you'll know anytime that I go live because uh, we'll be doing watch parties during the preseason. We'll be doing uh, knee-jerk reactions during halftime uh, during the season and things like that. Lots to do. This app opens up so many possibilities for interaction between me and you, my loyal audience. So be sure and download the Spotify Green Room app wherever you get your apps. <laughs> All right, so we move on to the AFC South, and we'll just go ahead and get these guys out of the way first because they are an absolute train wreck of an organization right now. From, I mean, from the start of their, their GM search to hiring the coach to their quarterback and his alleged uh, misgivings uh, throughout his, uh, I don't know if his career. Any idea what the time span on those allegations are? Or, Not entirely sure. Or was he I just mean, extremely a, a busy? Career, so it's entirely possible, that right? You know, but at least some longer portion of it. Yeah, I mean, just I mean, they were they never really recovered from that twenty-four to nothing lead they had on Kansas City in the playoffs in twenty nineteen. Right. They blow that lead, they lose that game, and then. In 2020, they start 0-4. They fire Bill O'Brien pretty much immediately as soon as they started to, to really struggle because things were going sideways even before. The trade with, with DeAndre Hopkins where they literally gave him away for nothing. Mm-hmm. A second-round pick and a running back nobody wanted. That's what they got in return for the best receiver in football uh, You know, uh, going into just madness. We talked about it before. What, what Houston got in return for DeAndre Hopkins – Versus what Minnesota got in return for Stefan Diggs, that's where Houston should have been aiming uh, with right. their with their trade demands. Instead, they were just like, just take him, take him. You can have him, and you have to give me something. So just give me something in return. Whatever it is, the answer is yes, kind of thing. You know, they right. run DeAndre Hopkins uh, out of town. Uh, you know, Bill O'Brien all of, became one of those guys that was hired to be the head coach and somehow was the general manager uh, by the uh-huh. end of all of it. So when yeah, they had awkward phone call when you have to fire yourself. Yeah, that, that, that is kind of strange, especially if you don't see it coming. I mean, it's weird. You know, it's like, what? I'm firing myself. Who, who the hell made this decision? You know, but, you know, they hired Nick Cesario, which, of course, did not go over well because it's another New England Patriot guy that right. uh, that they're bringing in. Deshaun Watson, not happy with that. And then, you know, they hired David Cully, who was um, I had no idea who that was until they hired him. And now he's the head coach of the uh, Houston Texans, as opposed to um, Eric Bieniemy, who is what who's who Deshaun Watson uh, wanted. And then it all turns out to be moot because Deshaun Watson may not play football in twenty twenty one, and if things don't go his way, he may never play again after everything that's been you know going on uh, during the off season. Uh, and but before all of that. He wanted out of Houston. He wanted a trade demand, even though he's about to start a four-year extension worth about $50 million a season uh, you know, coming up here. So, I mean, it is just a mess from top to bottom with Houston, and I don't think anybody would be surprised for them to go like 2-15 and 15 or whatever it's going to end up being uh, this year. There's just not a lot to look forward to with the Texans. 
No, there's really not. And I mean, you also have the you know, the loss of JJ Watt over the course of this yeah. offseason to where like they kind of did him a solid said, All right, yeah, you can go, you know, and kind of let him go out there and explore his options. And he ended up with the Arizona Cardinals. You know, and and it's tough, right? It's a tough scene when you have your franchise player and JJ Watt going to your other franchise player and Deshaun Watts at the end of the season and saying, Hey, I'm sorry we wasted your time. Yeah, like, man, like what a like. Sorry, we wasted your year, you know. And it's just like that's that's the tumultuous situation that they were all in, and it only got more and more tumultuous as every day passed throughout the course of this offseason. This is a team that is down bad. Um, if they have to move forward with another quarterback, I mean, I know they drafted Davis Mills, but I would 100 percent expect it to be Terod Taylor. Mm-hmm. That's going to end up being the starting quarterback there, if not Deshaun Watson. Uh, they made some good draft picks, but again, how much does it really matter considering all that they lost over on both sides of the football? And if they have to go into 2021 without their franchise quarterback, this is a bottom of the division team, I think, in in, in one way or another, regardless of yeah. whether or not Deshaun Watson plays in 2021. Yeah, it, it, there's just not a, a lot to look forward to here. I mean, you got Laramie Tunsil's one of the best offensive linemen, period in football. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much where the conversation ends because right. DeAndre Hopkins doesn't play there anymore. JJ Watt doesn't play there anymore. And there's no really, no one else on the, on the roster that can be considered to be in the conversation of here is the best player at this position or one of the best players at this position. It's a, it's a mixture of all also rands for the rest of the roster. Definitely. Yeah. It's, it's scraps over in Houston right yeah. now. So that's all we have to say about them. Let's move on to the, Colts, who for the second year in a row will be having a brand new uh, starting quarterback uh, leading their football team. Uh, They felt the need to include my beloved Chicago Bears in on their drama to get uh, Carson Wentz uh, because it turns out the Bears never made an offer for Carson Mm -hmm. Wentz, but somehow they were the team that was going to steal uh, Carson Wentz uh, from Philadelphia, even though Indianapolis was the best situation for him. Uh, to go to it was re- reuniting with Frank Reich, uh, who he right. you know had, who had fell in love with when he was in Philadelphia, uh, and all that kind of stuff. They have a better defense, just an overall better team. Actually, uh, you know, as much as I hate to say it, they are in a better position for Carson Wentz to be successful than he would have been if he was in Chicago. Number one, because Carson Wentz would have been happy to be in Indianapolis, not so much right. uh, in Chicago. Frank Reich's not going anywhere anytime soon, and Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace are playing for their careers uh, this season in 2021. So. Uh, a lot better, a lot more, uh, you know, more to look forward to in Indianapolis. They pull the trigger and they make the move. Um, and, you know, there he is in Indy with a team that's got one of the better defenses in, uh, in the NFL and, and looking forward to uh, what they can do in 2021 in pretty much a wide open division. It's, it's like Indy and, and Tennessee right now for this division. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just I mean, it's it's almost a copy and paste situation from last year, just with a couple of new names on yeah. each of these squads. I mean, it, this division is going to come down to the two of them. I'm going to be completely honest. I'm not very high on Carson Wentz. I don't have a lot of trust in Carson Wentz to lead a team. I don't blame but, you. Yeah, but what I will say and what I always do say is that if Carson Wentz's career is going to resurrect and if he's going to be the player that everyone expected him to be when he was drafted highly – coming into the NFL, it's going to be in the situation that he's in now. It's a perfect situation for him. It's a great situation for him. And so uh, while I don't necessarily have a lot of trust that it's all going to work out here in Indy for him, just because of my lack of sort of trust for him as a football player, 
I, I think that he's in the best possible situation for himself in Indy. Yeah, this very much kind of, uh, you know, the, the, the analogy that I would like to get it is that you have a kid who's struggling in a certain class, and mm-hmm. it turns out that the reason that he's not doing well is because he doesn't like his teacher. Right. He doesn't like his teacher, so he's not performing well. He's not paying attention. He doesn't do his homework or whatever. And then you see the following year when he's in a new class with a new teacher, all of a sudden he's getting A's across the board and all that kind of stuff. It was yeah. apparent that Carson Wentz was extremely unhappy in Philadelphia, uh, you know, wasn't happy with his head coach anymore, goes to a place where he's already got this love affair with, with Frank Reich and, and wants to be desperately part of that organization Maybe this is one of those change of scenery things where he's with someone that he likes. Uh, you know, he's obviously on a much better roster than he was a part of in Philadelphia uh, last year. Just maybe all of that will help Tartan Carson once around. If it does, great. If it doesn't, this is a guy that's kind of been chipping away at how good he's been the last couple of years. I mean, 2019 was bad. 2020 was even worse. So, you know. Could it be, you know, I've got, I'm, I'm, I'm playing for my favorite teacher or or will it just be, I'm a bad student? Yeah, absolutely. So we'll figure all that out. And of course the Indianapolis Colts did a good job protecting themselves with the, the conventional, excuse me, with the uh, conditional pick that they traded. He has to play a certain percentage and they have to make the playoffs in order for that to convey into a first round pick. I thought that was a smart decision for them too, in terms of protecting themselves there. Yeah. Chris Ballard, that guy is a genius. Uh, of yeah. a general manager and as much as as all for all the good that Ryan Pace has done uh, for us as general manager Ballard was up for that job and at a lot of times I wish that he had gotten it because mm-hmm. his philosophy on like the thing that he said I think it was on the Pat McAfee show in the, a couple weeks ago is like I'm not paying B players a plus money like I'm not doing right. that like that is I love that I can't even yeah. begin to tell you how much I love that a general manager would come out and say that you're a B player I'm not giving you a plus money that's not happening so God bless him uh, for that. And he's been a very shrewd guy uh, in Indianapolis making, you know, trades and moving. He's not afraid to move out of the first round to, you know, have more second round picks and uh, things like that. Um, he's, he's made a lot of really great moves during his time uh, in Indianapolis. And, um, you know, I think it's only a matter of time before it translates to real success. I mean, they won 11 games and went to the playoffs last year. But, um, you know, if this Carson Wentz things works out for them, this could be huge as far as Indianapolis having something to say in the AFC. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, we've talked a couple of times about teams that all hinge on their quarterback position. Of course, Indy is another one of those and all of it hinges on Carson Wentz being successful and being able to lead them through being able to stay healthy, all of that. But if he's able to maximize the talent that they have, which they do have talent on that offense still, and they've got a great run game there too, with Jonathan Taylor tailback. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing if he's able to make it happen. Uh, and Naeem Hines being there, giving them a little bit of a you know a change of pace, and they've got T.Y. Hilton returning to the team, and mm-hmm. then Michael Pittman being a really you know guy that stood out in his rookie season. I think he'll be very good. Continue to move forward. They've done a lot of, of of good things for themselves, and they put Carson Wentz in with a system that is going to be able to complement him a bit. The only question is, are they going to be able to utilize some of the the, the staples of their offense they're going to have to change because they do like to operate close to the line of scrimmage. Carson Wentz does not. So who makes the adjustment there? Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting to see how that uh, unfolds and to see if the, um, you know, I called it a love affair uh, between, you know, Frank Reich and, and Wentz. Can that continue with him as a head coach, as opposed to maybe kind of being that sounding board outside of the head coach that Doug Peterson 
uh, you know, when he was the head coach in, in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. you know, kind of being his, you know, shoulder to cry on, if you will, or, you know, like your confidant as your, one of your assistant coaches, treat him more like your buddy than your boss uh, kind of thing. Does that dynamic change the relationship uh, between the two of them uh, in Indianapolis is an interesting uh, perspective to kind of take there. You know, Frank Reich is the head man. and He's got to answer to, you know, the man and the general manager and stuff like that. It's, you know, it's a lot more pressure on him than there was when he was just the assistant um, in Philadelphia. So we'll see how that all manages to go uh, as well. So before we get to the Titans real quick, let's talk about the Jaguars. Um, <laughs> Urban Meyer, probably the most interesting thing to happen during this, uh, this strange offseason. Urban Meyer deciding that, um, you know, to hell with health reasons that took me away from Ohio State and Florida, I'm going to go to the NFL. And uh, where I've never coached before, not even for a minute, I'm going to be a head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, and I'm going to go to a situation where they could not get any lower than they are right now, as in we won week one and lost 15 straight games to end the season, sometimes in embarrassing, hilarious fashion, uh, losing football games. To earn the number one pick, I'll take Trevor Lawrence at number one, and we'll go from there and see if Urban, Ma- Urban Meyer can work his college magic at the NFL level. Yeah. Talk about things I have very little faith in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is one of them. And, I mean, you know, look, they, they turn around, and not only do they draft Trevor Lawrence out of Clemson, they go ahead and draft his, his backfield mate in Travis Etienne, yeah. which is, you know, cute. But I also don't know that, again, that was the right choice, especially at that time. If I remember correctly, Jalen Phillips was still on the board, so you could have bolstered that defensive line and had added this really great piece across from Josh Allen that just would have been a beautifully complimentary on that defensive side. Um, you know, and, and it, that's the decision making Chris Doyle hire that became not a hire. Right. And then yeah. Tim Tebow come on down after seven years of not being in the NFL to be the tight end three or whatever. He should have been from day one in his career, man. I mean, let's be honest. No, absolutely. He should have been a tight end all along. He probably would have been one of the greatest in the history of the NFL. But when you're trying to do this at like 35, good luck, bro. There were there were rumors that before Tim Tebow stepped away from football altogether that Sean Payton had approached and tried to convince him to come as a tight end to New Orleans <laughs> and he turned it down and you see what he did with a guy like Taysom Hill. Right. You know, I think and then of course the the ascension of a guy like Taysom Hill I'm sure has some factors into what Tim Tebow sees and is like, "Oh, I can go do that." Well, sorry, buddy, you're probably not <laughs> right. going to be able to do that, but it's if nothing else, it's a storyline that takes a lot of attention off of Trevor Lawrence which I could go either way on, right? Like to me, Trevor Lawrence was your number one overall selection. He should be the attention. All the attention should be going to him. He should be the focus of the franchise. He should be the face of the franchise. He should be the thing that people are talking about. So you could look at it that way, or you could look at it like, hey, this Tim Tebow hire really like takes the eyes off of Trevor Lawrence because everybody's so kind of stoked about this Tim Tebow thing. And, you know, it's a it's it's great to talk about. It's great content. His jersey was the number one selling jersey, blah, 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 yeah. and all that. And it kind of took some pressure off of Trevor Lawrence. So you could look at it either way here. Uh, but in any scenario, I don't know that it's beneficial for you from a football standpoint, which to me should be paramount. Yeah, and it, it's very much in, in the vein uh, a few years ago when the Bears drafted um, Rashawn, not Rashawn, Raekwon. Ah, mm-hmm. Roquan Smith. Ro- Roquan Smith. Smith. What yeah. the hell is wrong with me? Roquan Smith. <laughs> uh, in the first round, he was the lone holdout 
uh, for like the long, it was like week three into the preseason before he finally signed his contract. And even then he had like an ankle injury or something that kept him out of the entire preseason. And there were going to be a lot of eyes on Roquan and how he performed as a rookie. And just before the season starts, we happened to pull off this trade with the Raiders that brought in this guy. Maybe you've heard of him, Khalil Mack. And right. all of a sudden, the focus was on Khalil Mack. And that saved Roquan Smith's ass his rookie season because yeah, it time. wouldn't have been all on Roquan. Like, you held out. You missed all of the preseason. You better ball out, goddammit. You held out right. over a contract language, not money, because money's kind of locked in place yeah. with this with this rookie free agent or this rookie uh, salary cap uh, thing. So it wasn't about money. It was about contract language. You held out for nearly a month. You missed almost all of training camp and everything. But then it was just like the right hand was over here and the left hand did this and like, Oh, what's the left hand doing? Oh, Khalil Mack. Let's check this guy out. <laughs> Never mind about Roquan Smith and his holdout. Like no one barely even remembers Roquan did that, you know, and it certainly wasn't a storyline throughout the off season or throughout the season in 2018 about here's the holdout and look how he's playing now. Could he use that preseason buddy, you know, or anything like, no, it was all gone. So maybe it could benefit Trevor Lawrence, take some of the pressure off, that the story would be on Urban Meyer or Tim Tebow or whatever, at least in the beginning of the season, so he can kind of ease his way into this thing as opposed to all the eyes being on Tim Tebow. Like, God forbid, if they don't hire Urban Meyer, they don't sign Tim Tebow, then what is there to look at? Because it was going to be Lawrence no matter what, no matter who the head coach was or anything like that. It was always going to be Lawrence. So maybe these two little side stories can at least keep some of the spotlight on other people so it's not all on him and he can kind of work his way in uh, to being a rookie a quarterback in the NFL as opposed to just every single eye that there is being locked in on him. Yeah, absolutely. And they made some uh some they had some nice value selections too throughout the draft this year, particularly over on the defensive side that I mm-hmm. think are, are gonna be really helpful. Remember when they had that big run back in what was two thousand fifteen? It was really the defense. It was Saxonville, right? That's seventeen that, was, that was the year. Yeah, that was yeah. oh seventeen? Yeah, yeah two thousand seventeen. That was the season for them, or that was the 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 sort of ingredient for them that really propelled them um, during that season. It certainly wasn't Blake Bortles. And so you look at them <laughs> really paying a lot of attention over on the defensive side. They grabbed Tyson Campbell out of Georgia, who's one of the best man-to-man cover corners in this draft. Not one of the best corners, but specifically in man coverage. Um, Andre Sisco, fantastic safety out of Syracuse. Got a really good value pick at J2 Fele in the fourth round. They get Dylan Moses, who was a pretty much consensus first round selection early on during his time in Alabama, but because of a lot of injuries and everything, he ended up going undrafted in this draft, which wasn't entirely surprising because of where he was, but he's somebody that you can look at that you were going to look at and see, okay, where does he land? Uh, where does he land? So we could see how he ends up over time in the NFL. So he's over in Jacksonville as well, who have produced really good linebackers over the course of their time and certainly can use a little bit of help at that position now, you know, uh, with uh, only really Joe Sherbert as well as, um, uh, Miles Jack being the the top guys there, but yeah. still a lot of question marks to answer at that second level. Miles Jack, talk about a guy that's kind of defied the odds because Man. this was a guy who had his injury issues in college. He was supposed to be a top five pick going into the draft, ends up falling into the second round uh, for the for the Jaguars, and you know ends up being a stud. I mean, he's outlasted pretty much everybody in his draft class, uh, you know, that he came in on, and he's still a good player. Uh, for the Jaguars, I mean, this is a guy that um, you know very much in, in the in the in the in the mode of uh, Smith, the linebacker for the for the Cowboys, 
You know, he mm-hmm. should have been drafted much higher than he was based on his college resume, but injury concerns made him a, a second-round pick, things like that. And But he's done nothing but prove that he was the guy that he proved to be all along as opposed to the guy that got hurt just before he's supposed to get picked. Yeah, absolutely. And he was in that 2017 linebacker room with Paul Pozlesny, uh, yeah. and then you had uh, Telvin Smith that was there too. And Telvin Smith was the guy yeah. out of the three of those. And Pozlesny was a re- very, very solid, you know, uh, cover corner. Could do a little bit of everything. He could pursue. He was good against the run. He could climb the line of scrimmage. He did everything really well. And then Miles Jack was kind of the afterthought in that unit. And then now he's turned into exactly what you described. And he's the the leader of that linebacker unit. And oftentimes in conversation, when you talk about some of the ten best linebackers in the NFL, or you talk about some of the best linebackers in the NFL, Miles Jack usually breaks into that conversation at some point or another. Yeah, he finds his way in there. So um, don't know what we should expect from the Jaguars this yeah. year because, I mean, as as fun as the NFL can be sometimes, they really like to throw you a curveball every now and then <laughs> and have a first-year coach come in and 12, win 12 games uh, right. and make a run at this thing. And then also there's guys like, you know, where the Jaguars are at probably going to win five or six games this year, kind of muddle their way through the season, and then we'll look forward to 2022. You never know. You just never know Like if this little conglomeration of players that they got together, led by Trevor Lawrence, and having him start day one, no matter what uh, kind of thing, will it work out for them? Will he be able to be the brilliant uh, genius that he was uh, for Clemson, leading them to national championship games and, uh, and what have you? Uh, or will he be just like every other rookie quarterback and struggle because he's not on a very good football team? So right. we'll have to uh, we'll have to wait and see. I don't think they'll have much to say as far as the fate of the AFC South, but um, you never know. As I said before, that's why they play the games. So yeah. and we'll wrap up the AFC South with the Titans, who I'm looking at the Titans to win this division. I don't think you disagree with me uh, on that one. Um, you know, I I. I uh, I like the Titans, man. I, I do. And, you know, Derrick Henry, that kind of takes me back to, like, the old school mentality I was talking about before. Right. And Not to mention that he's 6'10", weighs 400 pounds, and he runs a football. <laughs> I mean, he is a massive human being and somehow right. squeezes that into, like, 6'2", 230 uh, or, or whatever uh, right. he is. Derrick Henry, yeah, 6 – oh, excuse me, 6'3", 247. So, oh, you know. Yeah, he's a tight end uh, yeah. playing the running back <laughs> position. You know, I always look back to that meme where he's standing at like the coin toss and he's like a foot and a half taller than the guy he's standing next to. It's like, yeah, yeah, this is our running back. (laughs) You know, the guy that's supposed to be one of the more frail guys on the team because he takes more more of a beating than anyone else. Yeah, this this machine, this Terminator wrapped in skin, (laughs) he's our running back. So, but I've always been a big fan uh, of uh, of Derrick Henry and kind of uh, was fangirling out over him in that Buffalo game last year where he literally shot put Josh Norman about six yards into the sidelines. Everything is like, Oh, that was so beautiful. I could just, I wish I could just drizzle that over pancakes. It was so awesome. (laughs) You know, so great what he did there, but this is a team. They won 11 games last year. They, they did win the division, right? They were the division champs, Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. ended up being close between the two. I think they ended up with the same record, but they had the tiebreaker. Yeah, didn't they like they had to win if they had the tiebreaker over Indianapolis? Like they had a, they kicked a field goal week seventeen to uh, to win the game over Houston and therefore uh, win the division. So, uh, but they uh, 
Baltimore got their playoff revenge on the Titans in the ten in the wild card round, whereas Tennessee ruined what was supposed to be Baltimore's path to the Super Bowl in 2019. Baltimore did it the other way around. Tennessee in Tennessee uh, with a win over the uh, over the Titans in the wild card round. But uh, you know, this is an off season. They made bigger news outside of the draft than they did in it by trading for for Julio Jones. So now you have uh, you know you have Julio Jones along with AJ Brown. Uh, you know, to compliment Derrick Henry to help out uh, Ryan Tannehill, who's been a revelation uh, in his time in Tennessee. We all thought he was done with right. with the way his career was going in Miami. He goes to to Tennessee to uh, to back up. Uh, I can't even remember his name now. Oh, was it Mariota? At the there time? we go. Marcus Mariota yeah. goes there to back up him just to kind of resuscitate his career. Ends up uh, being a twenty nine million dollar a year quarterback right. uh, for the Tennessee Titans after they uh, you know they blow up with him as the quarterback and right now look to be the class of the uh of division it's uh you know they look like a very solid football team I'm a big fan of the Titans yeah same Uh, I completely agree with you that they're you know at the top of the division for me again you know the only team I feel like that challenges them is Indy but question of most important position and my question marks around Carson Wentz keep me from really looking at Indy as competitors at the moment hope to be proven wrong there because you'd love to see him revitalize his career But when you look at what they did here over the offseason, maintaining uh, a lot of great players, making sure that they were in a good place. And they also addressed the offensive line a little bit. And yeah, they have Kendall Lamb, who they brought in from Cleveland, but they drafted Dylan Radens, the fantastic right tackle. Really, let me just call him tackle, offensive yeah. lineman, really, because he played just about anywhere you want him to. But he comes in from North Dakota State University, same play. He was the guy that protected Trey Lance at that right. left tackle position throughout his time. And then they add Julio Jones to A.J. Brown. They bring in Josh Reynolds from the Rams. I think it's just a fantastic uh, wide receiver core. The big thing is going to be, and certainly they have the offense to do it, but are they going to be able to uh, limit scoring over on the defensive side? Kevin mm-hmm. Byard, of course, leads the position at uh, inter- at safety with interceptions since he came into the NFL with 18, or at least since 2017, a year after he came into the NFL. Um and they, you know, add Caleb Farley, who had some major injury questions yeah. throughout this draft. So is he going to be good to go? They bring in Janoris Jenkins from New Orleans. So they really work to to beef up this uh, this defense a bit. But you know, are they going to be able to generate the pass rush? That's really going to be the biggest question because they had no pass rush last year, even after making that move for uh, Javion Clowney. But we're you know toward the bottom of the league when it came to sacks last season, and that's certainly something that they'll need so that they have sort of that symbiotic relationship between pass rush and coverage. Yeah, which was one of the more irritating things about our matchup with the Titans last mm-hmm. year was that going into it, um, it was the Locked On Titans uh, host. Oh, was my guess, Tyler Rowland. There you go, mm-hmm. Tyler Rowland, one of my favorite guests from last year. Uh, Great. No. No, no offense, but uh, I had you on <laughs> twice last year. But, um, you know, it, it's just, you know, talking to him, he was like, you know, don't expect much from our pass rush. That's why the, the Bengals were able to beat us the week before because we couldn't generate a pass rush on Joe Burrow and even with all second-string guys for the Bengals and everything because obviously the Bears had major offensive line issues at the time. I was just expecting Tennessee to eat us alive. And it was like, yeah, I wouldn't worry about that. Pass rush isn't what it needs to be. Jadavion Clowney, I don't even think Clowney played against the Bears because he was injured half the season right. uh, last year uh, and everything, and they ate us alive in that football game they I think they sacked Foles like five times 
uh, in the game and you know, they blew right through our offensive line to stop us cold on fourth and one when Allen Robinson ran out of bounds for some reason before the first down marker uh, and things like that. It was just like, yeah, thanks for lying to me, Dick. Apparently there's no problem <laughs> with the with the pass rush for the Titans because he just murders us all afternoon uh, in that game. But, uh, you know, it, I guess it was true that the other – 15, 16 games of the season. Pass rush wasn't much of a factor, but they brought it back to life against the Bears, that's for sure. So, um, yeah, that was uh, that was not a fun afternoon. My least favorite game of the season. Well, actually, I take that back. The, the Vikings game on Monday Night Football was the worst performance oh, of the was, year. Yeah, that was awful. But, um, but this team, you know, if they, can, if they can get some help from the defense, uh, I, I definitely think they're, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with, not just in the division, but... Uh, Quite frankly, everywhere else as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, over the course of the 2020 season, 19 sacks mm. uh, for them, third fewest in the NFL, just above Jacksonville with 18, and then the lowly Cincinnati Bengals with 17. Um, the guy that they signed, geez, the guy that they Bud signed Dupree, in the yeah. offseason almost had as many sacks as they had total, the Bengals as a team. <laughs> geez. Uh, so, yeah, so hopefully you see them be able to, to kind of mitigate that concern moving forward. They... You know, added some pretty interesting players over the course of the draft, but nothing was bigger than the move that they made for uh, Julio Jones. And another signing to watch out for, though, in terms of that pass rush is Melvin Ingram, who tweeted immediately after the Julio Jones signing or excuse me, trade had gone through. And he said, uh, you know, Julio and I should come as a package deal, really. Mm-hmm. So potentially, you know, you could see some mutual interest there between the Titans and Melvin Ingram, which I think would be a very smart pickup for them and kind of still shocking that Melvin Ingram is on the market this late in the, in the offseason as well. Yeah, but one move to, to keep an eye on, or at least one position to keep an eye on, especially since it was one that wasn't addressed in free agency or the draft, mm-hmm. is tight end because they right, lost Johnny right. Smith to the, to the, to the Patriots. And Janu Smith was a big reason why they were successful against the against the Bears. Because aside from one really unbelievable throw he made to AJ Brown, because AJ Brown only caught four passes against the Bears, but he caught like 110 yards where the passes, including a touchdown. It was Janu Smith that was hurting the Bears right. uh, in that game. He was the one who kept extending drives and getting first downs uh, and things like that. You know, and like we, we mentioned before, who's a, you know, who's a quarterback's favorite target would probably be his tight end. And mm-hmm. I definitely think Janu Smith was on the favorites list for Ryan Tannehill. And now, according to my magazine here, Anthony Ferkser, whoever the hell that right. is, is the starting tight end for the for the Titans. And they didn't draft or sign a, a tight end to to replace Janu Smith. Yeah, no, they sure didn't. They uh, ended up getting. I think it's an undrafted free agent, Miller Forrestal. Oh, my God. He won't. Yeah, I have <laughs> I no idea. I love these names, is. man. And, yeah, and he's the fifth tight end on that on that roster, honestly. Yeah. And so Anthony Ferkser is really the guy that you're looking for to potentially be able to step up. But, of course, this is his third team. He spent some time with the Jets, with the Chiefs, and then ended up with the uh, Tennessee Titans at the end of last season. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he really just kind of, I don't want to. I don't want to try to diminish the guy, but he carried over by default essentially. And you talk about a tight end at that point who's six foot two, two thirty, so a little undersized for the position and mm-hmm. particularly the style. He's that smaller than Derrick Henry. He's smaller than Derrick Henry. Yeah, <laughs> their running back is bigger than their tight end. So there you go. Uh, so you know, I, I think you're going to see a lot of eleven personnel and maybe you know utilizing that 
you know, linebacker position, unless they're able to find somebody out there that can be a receiving threat for them. Maybe a, a healthy Jared Pinckney can step up into that. We've seen him do that throughout certain points in his career. But again, still uh, kind of, you know, a, a smaller tight end than what you might like as a pass catcher. So I don't know. It'd be really interesting to see how they address, if they address that situation at all uh, at the tight end, at the tight end spot after losing John U. Smith. Yeah. Well, I mean, they may be looking at it like, yeah, we got Julio Jones. So we're covered on alternate uh, yeah. passing targets for, uh, for Tannehill. But you know, as, 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 as dynamic as that can be, you still need a guy to come in on the short range and, you know, middle of the field type routes and, uh, at 33 years old, Julio Jones is not coming across the middle. So, yeah. I mean, um, look, as, as somebody that covers the New Orleans Saints, I can't imagine an offense without a tight end. It's hard right. for me to even think about it. Like, who, sure. where you, who's going to run the fourth route and it all goes special? Like, right. There's nobody there. <laughs> and so it's, it's, it's strange, right? It's strange that that wasn't addressed at all. And, and maybe it's something to do with, you know, the change, the, the, the swap to Todd Downing at, at, um, offensive coordinator now mm-hmm. that Arthur Smith is over in, right. in Atlanta he got himself his tight end there uh so maybe that has something to do with maybe the mentality or the scheme yeah, changing a little right. bit I didn't but think of still that. you know but but even still uh, I would imagine that you, you want somebody at that position that can be multiple you know not just a blocker and again you want somebody if even if you want to be a blocker you don't want to be six foot two two thirty right <laughs> yeah especially when the guy you're blocking is six five and two eighty right you know trying to come <laughs> off the edge uh, and things like that. That's uh, that's that. Those are not the trenches you want to be mixed up in. You don't want to be on the wrong side of something like that. So, but that's the AFC South. So we'll we'll finally get over here to the NFC. Excuse me, AFC West, and wrap things up here. We'll start with the Broncos uh, because they're in the most dire situation in this division by a mile. Um, yeah. Vic Fangio going into year number f- three, four, three, three. Yeah, year number three because he started in 2019. So year number three as head coach, uh, success has been few and far between for the Broncos, mostly because of their quarterback position or lack thereof. And Mm -hmm. this was a team that, you know, so many dominoes had to fall in order for the Bears to be able to land Justin Fields. And And two of the last dominoes that had to fall were the Broncos and the Panthers, both teams that need quarterbacks passing on Justin Fields so that he could continue to fall down the board to where the Bears could move up and get him. I was floored when Denver passed on Justin Fields. I could not believe it when they didn't take him. Uh, You know, granted, they just traded for Teddy Bridgewater. They already had Drew Locke, but you pass. And But there's huge question marks surrounding both of those guys. And you pass on one of the more sure prospects in the draft as far as like his college resume uh, is concerned. If he can do everything that you need him to do, you go ahead and you bring him in, you give him the ball and you see what happens kind of thing. Instead, they go, did they go Pats for 10? They did. They did. Okay. Yeah, so JC Horn, Horn was the, the Panther right before. Yeah. But I was floored at number nine when they passed on him. Um, yeah. I could not believe that they did it. And uh, they went ahead and uh, they pulled the trigger on, on Pats for 10. Uh, the second, which is great for Vic Fangio and his defense, because they probably have the best secondary in football, but a lot of good it's going to do them when their offense can't generate any points. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's going to be. I I'm surprised that they didn't go with the quarterback, especially considering that they were charging a premium in terms of trade conversation at oh, the yeah. number nine selection. They and absolutely everything too. were. 
Yeah, they were rumored to be charging, you know, to be asking for three first round picks there. That's quarterback trade stuff. And of course, you could do that as long as a quarterback's on the board. Doesn't matter if the team it's wanting to trade for the pick once a quarterback. Doesn't matter if you want to draft the quarterback. If the quarterback's on the board, you can do that. But usually it's connected to some at least desire for that quarterback and saying, well, we don't really want to move out of this spot. But to, you know, have that, you know, that level of desire and that level of, of, of expectation for your selection while you're on the board looking to draft a corner after you've also traded for a corner over the offseason, right? Like they bring in, well, they brought in Kyle Fuller, yeah. and then there was all this other stuff with uh, Ronald Darby as well coming from Washington or coming from wherever he came from right before. Uh, and so, you know, it, it's an interesting thing, but I don't know if maybe they're banking on, you know, this kind of brings us back full circle to the very beginning of, of, of the episode here is that, you know, there is the possibility that Denver is the team to land Aaron Rodgers, right? Like if yeah. Aaron Rodgers ends up getting traded, Denver seems to be the team that he's most connected to the most. That changes everything in terms of the complexion of this team, which is the Aaron Rodgers effect. No matter what team Aaron Rodgers would end up on if he's traded, he changes the complexion of that team. But the biggest question here is going to be right now, who's going to be the quarterback going into 2021? Is it Drew Locke? Is it Teddy Bridgewater? And can you win with either of these, with either of these quarterbacks, because as you mentioned, defense might be nice, but if you can't put points on the board, there's not really much that you could be doing here. And so I, I'm, I'm really not sure what to expect from Denver. Being completely yeah. honest, going into this season, they're a huge question mark. Yeah, because looking at this roster, I mean, on paper, especially on the offensive side, this team is ready to rock, man. You right. know, you have Cortland Sutton, you have Jerry Judy. Um, you know, both very high draft. Cortland Sutton was a second rounder. Jerry Judy was a first round. Was Judy a first rounder? He was, was a first rounder. You know, you have uh, Noah Fant, one of the best young tight ends in football. Mm-hmm. You know, you bring in Melvin Gordon. He's going to do things for you uh, in the in the running game. The offensive line, not many question marks, even though they did sign Bobby Massey. God bless him for that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, on offense, it's it really just seems like if you plug Aaron Rodgers into this and watch out for Denver, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Watch out for Denver. Noah Fant is going to be a stud overnight. You know, Jerry Judy is going to be his favorite target. Cortland Sutton, even KJ Hamler is going to have something to say about, you know, about things. You know, you plug Aaron Rodgers into that. Man, talk about a team that's going to give KC all they can handle and then some uh, in that division. I mean, and even on defense, you still have Von Miller, who's granted probably on his last legs, but still out there, Bradley Chubb. And then, like I mentioned before, probably the best secondary in football with Kyle Fuller, Ronald Darby, Kareem Jackson, Justin Simmons. I mean, you don't want to mess with those guys. And But it's like if you got nothing happening on the other side, you know, it's going to be hard for that defense to keep you in football games. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So this this is a team that has the ability to be one of the best teams in football or – one of the worst teams in football. And I guess every team runs that, but honestly, every team runs that gamut. But I think this went to even greater extremes when it comes to Denver Broncos, because the possibilities for this team are so wide stretching because of the move that they could potentially make. I'll be interested to, you know, to, to step away from the Aaron Rodgers talk, because for the most part, that's kind of theoretical. Yeah. But, yeah, I'll be interested to see what they also do at the running back position. I think Javante Williams can easily step in and be their number one running back there. They have Melvin Ingram, but is he going to be willing to be a change of pace running back for you? If not, there's the opportunity to move him to teams like you could see the maybe Miami Dolphins, New York uh, Jets. They're you know in need of you know some 
potential boosts in their running game. And if they were to do that, then there's some additional assets that they could pick up as well. So this is team that can continue to build and find ways to, you know, garner and, and, and grab draft capital and things like that to build up. But I don't know how much that affects them going into 2021, of course, unless they're able to pull off, you know, that big theoretical trade right. for uh, Aaron Rodgers. And so, you know, to me, this is probably the team that is amongst the bottom two in this division and certainly one of the two teams, this division that have the most question marks for me. Oh, for sure. You know, and it just like, you know, I have not seen, you know, I mean, even in the what 12, 13 teams that we've talked about so far, because we got Mm -hmm. three teams left after this. So 13 teams that we've talked about so far, I've never seen a more quarterback hungry team or quarterback hungry roster than this one. And, you know, all due respect to, to, uh, to, uh, you know, um, God damn it. I just forgot his name. Uh, Drew Locke. Drew Locke, there, Drew yeah. Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to be the guys that lead the Broncos to the promised land. You no. know, uh, Justin Fields would have had a better shot with that. Obviously, Aaron Aaron Rodgers in that theoretical situation. Definitely, they hit the ground running with him uh, out there. It's just a matter of how quickly he can pick up the offense or how quickly they learn how to play with him uh, uh, kind of thing. There might be some rocky days in the beginning, kind of like with Tampa Bay and Tom Brady last year. But, you know, once you get into the season, we're all used to playing with each other. Watch out for the for the Broncos. Like I, I've I've of the teams we've covered so far, I have yet to see a team as quarterback hungry as this one. Yeah, it would be a really interesting as we get to predictions, be an interesting prediction if it's Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater, which <laughs> one of them would be the quarterback, because I think it's a, there's interesting conversation for both of them. Absolutely. So we move on to the uh, Las Vegas uh, Raiders, and this is a team that we had a chance to cover uh, with our good friend uh, Q Myers from Locked On yeah. uh, Raiders, that guy's one of my favorite people ever, and um, a lot of fun to talk to. Very, he's definitely a radio guy. You just hear it in his voice. Oh yeah, he's definitely a radio <laughs> guy. And did you hear about his new job in Vegas? Yeah, he's in oh, that, uh, he was operating out of Central Texas for a while. And yeah, now he's you know now he's right in he Vegas. Oh, Perfect. so happy for him when I heard about that. Uh, but about his team. I don't know what they're doing over there, man. I really man. don't. They had one of the more solid offensive lines in football, and then in the middle of this offseason, they just had this fire sale where they traded away Trent Brown, they cut this guy, they let this guy go, and, uh, and, and all that kind of stuff. And granted, they made kind of corresponding moves to make up for it, but it's just like, why fix what wasn't broke last yeah. season? It was really confusing going into the uh, offseason why the, why the Raiders made the moves that they did. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that like that's a big question that I asked is why why create needs for yourself yes. when there were when yeah. there were already needs that you could be addressing. And then all of a sudden draft capital had to start going. They end up drafting Alex Leatherwood in the first round, which was a bit of a shocker for everybody that had been doing draft coverage during that time. Yeah. And you know, you look at some of the other places where they could have used you know, another wide receiver. They could have used help in the secondary. They could have used help in, you know, when it came to uh, their linebacker spots and everything because the the linebacker investments they made last year and Kwiatkowski as well as Corey Littleton did, you know, they didn't really pay dividends. They did okay, but they could have used another linebacker there. They could always use more help with pass rush after trade away Khalil Mack. There were just so many places where they could have addressed there, Then, but they ended up having to uh, sort of, you know, flexi seal a hole that they had created themselves <laughs> to stop the leak, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They had to use some of that good stuff to, to plug up the hole uh, on that one. You know, and, and this was also a team that, you know, really that finished eight and eight, but they really shot themselves in the foot uh, towards the end of the season because they lost three out of their last five football games, including one unexpl- 
inexplicable loss to the Dolphins. Did you see the end of that football game? Yes, that was insane. Where? I mean, that was that's that was also just the beauty of Ryan Fitzpatrick too. Yeah. Like that's why Ryan Fitzpatrick deserves to be on a football field because damn, it's good television. Yeah, the the, the <laughs> defensive tackle damn near rips his head right clean off of his shoulders, and somehow. Ryan Fitzpatrick was because of like the leverage taken from him. It helped him hang the ball up, which would have, which helped like the receiver comes back for the ball, a big, big play on like third down or whatever it was big play and an extra 15 on top of that, that put Miami from, this is literally a kind of a hail Mary situation to we're in field goal range. And now the Raiders are the ones that drive started like the five yard line, dude. And they ended up yeah. kicking the game winning field goal in that one. And 35 plus yards of that came on one play because that guy damn near ripped Fitzpatrick's head off, which caused them to hang it up because the, the, the coverage was there. If the ball is where it's supposed to be, it probably gets picked off because of the coverage right. and everything. But the, <laughs> The receiver's looking back. I think it was a tight end, actually. The receiver's looking back at the ball, so he stops and waits for it, which makes him wide open all of a sudden. Yeah. He gets the first down, and then you add 15 to that, and it went from the Raiders have the Dolphins by the short and curlies to now it's the Raiders who are screwed and, encha- and you know and ended up losing the football game there. That's the kind of misfortune that the Raiders had towards the end of the season that took them out of the playoff discussion and had them going home early again. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, the week right before that game, the Raiders had the same type of miscommunication in cover two to where the corner didn't get enough depth on the sideline, and then the ball ended up getting dropped right in between, in that space between the safety and corner. And so there were two questions there. Cover two in that situation, first of all, why? And then secondly, the big question mark about what are you teaching these corners in terms of understanding game situation, field position, everything that they need to know Uh, to not get the depth that they need on the sideline there. And as you mentioned, it all got sort of put together or or I guess, you know, tied together with a pretty bow because of the play of the defensive tackle nearly ripping Ryan Fitzpatrick's head (laughs) off, which is the only thing that allowed that ball to get into the right position. Yeah, I mean, what a just a a, a really disappointing way for that game to end and and thus also the season to end really for the Las Vegas Raiders who, you know, had so many question marks still around that quarterback position going into, you know, was it going to be Derek Carr? Were they going to be interested in Aaron Rodgers? There's still, you know, some conversation around that, but there's still so many needs on this team, but because of their actions over the course of the off season, they had to end up addressing other spots. I did like the addition though, of Trevon Morig, the uh, the safety out of TCU, getting him next yeah. to Jonathan uh, Jonathan Abram, who what a season he had! I mean, at one point he ran into a television truck thing during the <laughs> Monday night game. Oh man, just wild, wild stuff he went through, but still got out there on the field and had a pretty nice performance over the course of that that season. But some uh, some big questions still over on the defensive side for him, which is exactly where they were last season. So just not yeah. really taking any any visible steps forward yet. Yeah. And we're only three years into a 10 year deal for uh, for Gruden. Oof. So uh, they still got a long way to go before it's reasonable to right. uh, put him out to pasture. Yeah. You know, and they got a potential go. ownership conversation after that. Too, right. Is the other big. Right. Part so, I mean, but I mean, just to talk about how the Raiders kind of fell off. This was a team that was uh, a week 17 matchup with the Broncos where they only won 32 to 31, by the way, and a blown idiotic coverage by the jets from losing their last 
seven games of the season. Ugh. Because the, the Jets win, stopped a two-game losing streak, then they lost three straight to Indy, the Chargers, who they lost to in overtime, and then that batshit crazy finishing with Miami. <laughs> and then they beat the, the Broncos. That's how they finished 8-8. Eight and eight. But if they lose those other two games, then they're they're only six and ten. But they would have gone from six and three to six and ten. So I mean, yeah. this was a season that went sideways on them in the second half of the of the season, big time, you know. And you yeah. got to wonder how many more of these Mark Davis is going to stomach before you know. If, if Gruden's just going to come here and make me a five hundred football team, then I might as well just pay him to go away and give somebody else a chance to do right. this because you just ran in place for the last two seasons. So, um, you know, it's curious to see because I'm, you know, as I mentioned before, like talking about the Browns being an old sentimentalist about wanting to them kind of return to where they were when I was a kid. Same thing with the Raiders. They were one of the better teams uh, in the league, you know, coming up when I was when I was a kid. Obviously, those are the days of Bo Jackson where he was a superhuman and doing all the crazy things that he did. But they had a lot of really great football players on that team, you know, where the, the Raiders were still in the discussion uh, of who the good teams in the conference were and things like that, kind of wanting to see them return to it. It's like I'm glad that they're not the joke of the NFL that they were for so many years during, you know, the last years of Al Davis. But, um, you know, being a mid-level team sucks because you're not good or bad, and that's where the Raiders are kind of gravitating right now. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, to me, they're in, I guess – using the word contention lightly because they're in, in contention to be the worst team in that division yeah. along with, uh, along with Denver. There's just too many, too much unsure around this team right now. Yeah. It's uh it's an interesting uh, situation. Um, and, and, you know, I love Mike Mayock. I, I miss him on draft day probably more than anybody else. He's my favorite, yeah. favorite analyst, just something about the guy. He does what he does and, uh, uh, and everything. And uh, he's taking his shot at being uh, a GM you know that first round pick and Leatherwood. I mean, every and when when referring to the to the Raiders draft, I've always kind of heard people joke that if they take Morig in the first round and Leatherwood in the second, this is one of the better drafts out there. Right. But instead, right. they had to flip it. And as far as like taking Leatherwood seventeen ahead of so many other guys, like my beloved Taven Jenkins, who's on my team, probably mm-hmm. should have been taken in that spot. Uh, you know, and everything. But instead, it's Leatherwood who is an offensive tackle, but is most likely going to be a guard uh, for them and and, and whatnot. Uh, So we'll see how it it all uh, uh, shakes out for the Raiders, but I'm not looking for them to be players uh, in this division, let alone the AFC. No, no, you've got two very strong contenders otherwise within this division that are going to be taking it away from, you know, uh, the the Raiders or the the uh, or the Broncos, who who I guess are, are both in that theoretical conversation when it comes to uh, Aaron Rodgers, if not this season, then, you know, certainly for the future. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and so we move on to those other teams that are contenders as we wrap up the AFC here. Um, the, the more intriguing of the two, obviously is going to be the chargers. you know, they, they, you know, had, um, uh, Lynn as the, the head coach there. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like he couldn't quite get the team over the hump that, you know, they have, uh, you know, a talented team, they hit on that quarterback pick huge last year. Huge. Justin Justin Hubert Herbert, excuse me, who was kind of forced into duty last year because of a wild, Ugh. wild thing with Tyrod Taylor and and the the idiot doctor piercing his lung 
while Ugh. giving him a shot for a, for a rib injury or Insane. something like that. Literally on the field as they're warming up, Herbert finds out he's starting week two or whatever right. it was. Like literally, he thought that that Lynn was screwing with him when he told him that he's starting. Like, no, yeah, he uh, he punctured his lung. He might be dead in the in the locker right. room. So you have to start for us today. So go ahead and and, and take on the Kansas City Chiefs uh, week number right. two. Go for that. And played a great game. He did. I mean, Took him to overtime. The, Chargers, the yeah. Chargers as a whole played a really good game in that one. They ultimately lost, but uh, not by not by much. Yeah, but I mean the so whole – That one came down to the, the final field goal. If I right. And and the whole tenure of Lynn as the as the head coach would be kind of a, you know, I don't want to say bad luck, but it's just like a what-if uh, type thing because so many of the games that they lost last year – we're by one possession or one score or something yep. like that. If we get one call to go this way or if we make a different decision here, then the outcome would have been different because this is a team that went seven and nine. And now with Brandon Staley, even though he's a brand new rookie head coach, a lot of people are thinking that this change of perspective, a brand new head coach, a different decision maker would, could be all the difference between the Chargers being seven and nine and between them being like 12 and five, 11 and six and making a playoff run this year. Yeah, I mean, they were the the pinnacle example of how one play can affect a football game. And it didn't always just come down to that very last of the plays, yeah. right? I mean, it was a situation to where they were consistently a play away or something that happened that ended up pushing them away. You could look at the uh, the Donald Parham near uh, two-point conversion or, or touchdown or near catch in the back of the end zone, the New Orleans Saints game with the tackle on fourth and six, the five-yard game by Mike Williams, that final field goal. You saw that really kind of wonky game against the uh, the Las Vegas Raiders as well where Marcus Mariota came in as the quarterback there. And it was, it was a pretty insane uh, season for Los Angeles. And so now they move over to Brandon Staley, go with a defensive-minded – uh, quarter or excuse me, uh, head coach, and then they grab offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi, former New Orleans Saints uh, quarterback coach. Not a bad pairing to get him and Justin Herbert together. And then what I like about their draft is that they they focused on the quarterback and they go ahead and grab Rashawn Slater. Yeah, there with their first draft pick. Hear that, Cincinnati? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And they didn't stay away from the offensive line for long either because around the fifth round, if I remember correctly, yeah, they came Brandon back James, around yeah. and grabbed another. Yeah, and so they just continue to put focus there. They grabbed Josh Palmer out of Tennessee, who I think is one of the more underrated players, uh, one of the more underrated wide receivers, and just an example of the talent you can get late or later at the wide receiver position in the draft, Cincinnati. And so I think that like with all of that, <laughs> they've just continued to make a lot of the right moves. But, you know, I think it just like a, a lot of conversations that we've had, this is a team that has all the pieces. Can they stay healthy? Can they continue to put it together? And a lot of that is kind of like, you know, you circle the name Derwin James on any depth chart or roster, yeah. because if that guy can stay healthy, he's a game changer. Yeah. I mean, it was, a, it was a damn shame. You know, he went down during hard knocks last year right you right. know had that had that what was it a shoulder injury or something like that I think that so uh, something like that yeah because yeah. there was concern that it was a neck injury for a little while yeah. or something like that and thankfully he avoided that but yeah Ugh. if he can come back and be healthy you know he is one of the better safeties uh in this league and and especially for a guy like brandon staley in the defensive system that he runs he could right. be you know a, a world a world star you know for uh for for the chargers and and really kind of lead that defense because you know, with Joey Bosa and, and you know, Linval Joseph and, and guys like that, they've got horses on that side. Chris Harris Jr., uh, you right. know, at corner for them. 
uh, as well. I mean, this is this is a good defense, and you have Justin Herbert uh, out there. You know, Austin Ike um, uh, Eckler. That's oh, Austin Eckler. Austin mm-hmm. Eckler. I couldn't think of how to pronounce his last name. But you, you added Jared Cook as well uh, in the offseason, who seems to be somewhat of an ageless wonder uh, at tight end uh, these days. And you add him to Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. And, uh, you know, like you said, you drafted Rashawn Slater. You know, I, I like this team uh, a lot. You know, going to have a hard time keeping them out of the playoffs when we get to the predictions here. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, this is a team that should challenge. And they should challenge for the division. I don't know that they're going to be able to take it, but I mean, they should be a close second within the division. There's just a lot of talent here. And what just a, an incredible season Justin Herbert had. Yeah. You know, offensive Rookie of the Year coming in. Everyone thought that it was going to be, you know, Joe Burrow, potentially even Tua. And then you have Justin Herbert, who a lot of people were down on coming in and coming out of Oregon, coming into the NFL draft, and just had a remarkable season. It yeah. was just consistent reliable, cool-headed, even keel. I mean, he was just everything that you want in a quarterback uh, in this is coming in as a rookie. I mean, really, really impressive stuff, and I'm looking forward to his continued growth. Yeah, 4,300 yards, 31 touchdowns, 10 picks for a rookie. Outstanding. Just outstanding. Yeah, and just, just kind of thrown into the fire week two, literally minutes before yeah. kickoff. You know, <laughs> right. for him to play as well as he did against the Chiefs in that first game and then maintain that throughout the year, um, you know, just an outstanding uh, job for him. And, you know, we, we know how much the quarterback can change the fate of a football team. I'm hoping for that in Chicago. You're kind of wondering what that's going to look like in New Orleans with the change of right. fate at quarterback, you know, for them, uh, for the Saints. I mean, you know, it, it is amazing how they went from, you know, like, okay, we're going to have to figure out life after Phillip Rivers. Oh, that's okay. We'll just draft Justin Herbert and be set for the next decade at the position uh, if things all go well. Yeah, how great is that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so finally... Like? I guess you'll tell me in a little bit. Yeah. Actually. We go to the uh, to the Chiefs, uh, two-time defending AFC champion. Uh, fell short in the uh, playoffs because of... Uh, well, they forgot to bring their offensive line with them to the Super Bowl. Um, yeah. Or at least they kept breaking in, in pieces... Uh, en route to the uh, Super Bowl anyway, and the Buccaneers ate the Chiefs alive uh, in that game. It was impressive, really, watching them do it the way they did, just kind of pick Kansas City apart, like they just solved the puzzle uh, to the Chiefs, at least for that one game. And the Chiefs kept trying to fit the square peg in the round hole about throwing the football, uh, despite the fact that Tampa Bay was just pinning their ears back and coming for them. Um, But they go into the offseason, and what was the focus of their offseason? The offensive line. So they... uh, Granted, they, they, they let go of, uh, you know, Eric Fisher and um, Mitchell Schwartz, but they trade for Orlando Brown. Um, they sign Kyle Long, which is a move that I hope for his sake works out, mm-hmm. um, you know, because his time in Chicago was cut short. And it's, a you know, sad that what happened to him did yeah. uh, as far yeah. as, you know, how his career ended. And uh, he already injured himself in Kansas City, so hopefully he can actually play. Uh, this year, but they also shined, uh, th- signed uh, Joe Thune away from the uh, New England Patriots. So they've loaded up this offensive line uh, to you know to to be able to get after uh, be get after this. And God forbid if they have a rematch with Tampa Bay, they'll be ready this time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they they did not uh, allow that warning to go without heeding it for sure. Absolutely, and they really invested it. I mean, you saw them also dig around in the in the draft there and bring in uh, in the second round Creed Humphreys. So they got yep. themselves the 
really good uh, center backup, but he can also, you know, you could probably move him around in the interior as well. Uh, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, who took last year off to, you know, u- utilize his medical training to yeah. help out during the pandemic, which is a really incredible him. story. He should be back this season. I love the draft pick in the sixth round, Trey Smith, the offensive lineman out of Tennessee. This guy is a top, he was a top 15 talent uh, coming in, but because of some blood clotting issues, some health question marks, things like that, he ends up dropping all the way down to the sixth round, even though it hasn't, you know, it kind of got diagnosed in 2017 and then, or 2018 rather, and then 2019, 2020, he you know, didn't miss any games when he was available and everything. I, I thought that he would, you know, bump up a little bit, uh, you know, and, and, and his stock would raise a little bit. But he ends up falling all the way down to the sixth round. I thought that was a phenomenal selection for them. And then over on the defensive side, I mean, they return a lot of the same players. I mean, they did a really good job here. The biggest question mark is going to be what's going on with Frank Clark. Yeah. Like the Frank Clark question mark is a big one uh, with everything going on with uh, the Uzi possession and, oh, and everything. Man. And he ends up getting charged and stuff. And so, you know, <laughs> we'll see what type of discipline he faces. But, you know, outside of that, they added Jerron Reed over the course of the offseason, yeah. which I thought was a fantastic move. Got him out from San, uh, from uh, Seattle, Seattle, rather. Um, and I like the draft pick to the linebacker out of Missouri, Nick Bolton, which is that second level needed a lot of help uh, for that kansas city defense but that kansas city defense absolutely was no slouch in 2020 so excited to see what they were able to put together here in 2021 yeah and um it's you know they're they're an exciting team uh to watch i mean obviously patrick mahomes um (sighs) boy i'm so glad we got justin Fields so we can stop talking about what if with uh with patrick mahomes (laughs) I'm so glad. I mean, I know that conversation will probably never be over, but as far as like Mitch Trubisky over Patrick Mahomes, that conversation ended a long time ago. Um, obviously, it was a mistake that the Bears yeah. uh, made there, even if it was Watson, even still. Um, uh, you know, he's he's the best quarterback in the league uh, right now. And I mean, just mm-hmm. the things that he was doing in that Super Bowl game, some of the throws that he was making like the one where he's literally going to fall on his face and somehow oh, still threw a strike in the corner of the end zone that his receiver dropped. Like he That's did insane. everything that he could to make that play and his teammate let him down uh, on that one. It's like, I mean, you know, maybe he let him down because he just like, there's no way he's going to, th- oh my God, there's the ball. Yeah, and he right. ends up dropping it. <laughs> you know, it just... Maybe that's what it was. But, I mean, that throw was amazing. And he did that all night long. That, that wasn't the only throw like that that he made. So he's definitely one of those guys that can elevate everybody around him. But it definitely helps if you can protect him and he can pick you apart. Yeah, definitely. And they've done a good job trying to address that and making sure that they can be, you know, right back in the Super Bowl, I'm sure is what their hope is here in 2021. They've certainly got all of the, the pieces that they need to get there. Uh, it'll just come down to, I mean, the the most effective defense that worked against them last year was kind of a too deep approach, even a, a quarters approach to where you just pin your ears back, go after them, have your deep coverage, allow your deep safeties to be back there to take away some of the deeper options, force Patrick Mahomes to hold on to the ball and invite them to run. The the thing that Tampa did really well, though, is that they also put points on the board. Yeah. They turn around and they put points on the board against Kansas City's defense, therefore making it to where Kansas City didn't have the option to run, even though you were inviting them to do so and you were you know willing to let them take time off the clock. It was just a really, really good game plan 
up against them. And I think they've made some really good moves here over the course of the offseason, the Kansas City Chiefs did, to prepare themselves to be able to uh, combat that. Because I think you'll see that blueprint copied early on in the 2021 season after seeing how effective it was in the Super Bowl. Yeah, they were pretty much daring the Chiefs to run in that mm-hmm. game. It was very much reminded me of, um, I was watching America's game, and it was talking about the strategy that Belichick, who was the defensive coordinator for the Giants going to Super Bowl 25, had right. against that K-Gun no huddle offense of the Buffalo Bills. And he's like, in order for us to win this game, Thurman Thomas is going to have to run for 100 yards because we're basically going to open it up for them to run as much as they want in order to defend that unbelievable passing game that Jim Kelly and Andre Reid and James Lofton and all those guys had. That's very much the strategy that was employed by Todd Bowles uh, in the – now see, I remember his name now. uh, Todd Bowles (laughs) uh, in that uh, that game against the – in the Chiefs, they were begging them to run the football because they were rushing two and dropping nine, daring them to throw. You know, I was yep. like, here, you know, throw the ball all you want. It's easier for you to run. Trust me. Go ahead and run. You only got to block two guys to get through the line right. of scrimmage. Like, nope, we're going to keep trying to throw the football, and your offensive line isn't up to snuff, so our guys are going to get after you and make it for a very long evening and a disappointing one for Mahomes and company. But as we said, the Chiefs heeded that warning, and they went out and, and fixed what was broken. Yeah, and we saw that effective against Kansas City, not just in the Super Bowl, but, I mean, you could see it throughout the regular season. A couple of teams did it. Miami did it. New Orleans did it. But the difference in this game, again, came down to the defense, the, the, the team that Kansas City's defense was least efficient against mm-hmm. was that Tampa Bay Buccaneers yeah. offense. And so I think that that's going to be the the big thing for them, too. And they've done some good things here to address that defense. But, you know, the Frank Clark question is going to be a big one. The fact they were able to keep Chris Jones before last season was great. The addition of Jerron Reed is really good. Taco Charlton being there is good for them. So they have the names, they have the people, but they'll just need to be able to make sure that they can get it all together. So there you have it. That is the AFC. Um, what do you say? Let's Let's try and... Map this thing out. How do you think yeah, it's yeah. how you think it's gonna gonna fall? Here are my seven teams. I got Kansas City one, Buffalo two, um, Cleveland three, Tennessee four. So those are your division winners there. Then our mm-hmm. wild cards: Indianapolis five, Baltimore six, and I'm keeping the Patriots out. Chargers seven. So there you go. So that's nice. wild card round is Buffalo and the Chargers. Mm-hmm. Cleveland and the Ravens, Tennessee and Indy. So some defensive or some divisional rematches there in the wild card round. Kansas mm-hmm. City, obviously the one seed on the bye. I so, like it. Yeah. What are you looking at? Mine is actually mine is actually really close. I have the same top four in terms right. of the division winners. All right. The difference for me though is no Baltimore and instead, uh, excuse me. Uh, no Indy. Okay. And instead I have Miami getting in. Ah, so then the, like those, those three down, uh, those three kind of, you know, wild card teams, uh, being the, uh, the, the, the Ravens, the Miami dolphins, and then, um, the Los Angeles chargers. Okay. All right. So only we got what, six out of seven on that one. Yeah. On the, as far as yeah. I'm agreeing on it. Yeah. All right. Now, so then wait till we get to the NFC where no one knows what the hell is going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just get ready for some wild stuff with the AFC. It's going to be crazy. But uh, so wild card, I got Buffalo over the Chargers. I got uh, Cleveland over Baltimore and uh, Tennessee over Indianapolis uh, in the wild card round. So that sends Tennessee to Kansas City. Uh, Cleveland goes to Buffalo in the second round. 
So I then I got well, pretty much I got a rematch in the AFC Championship, KC and and Buffalo, and I can't bet against Kansas City right now. Right. I mean, I wanted to right. all of last year because I thought Kansas City might have been the most unimpressive fourteen and two team I have ever seen with some of those barely by the skin of their teeth victories that they had last year. Yeah. And then they ran right through the AFC playoffs to make it to the Super Bowl again. So, I mean, you just, you just can't count them out until somebody steps up and beats them. Yeah. There's no reason to, honestly. I mean, like, yeah. I, I just, I can't see it really. I don't know. Kansas city is just too damn good yeah. for being honest. <laughs> they are just, too I pretty much, yeah. I'm pretty close. I've got I've got Buffalo advancing past the Chargers. I've got Cleveland advancing past Miami, but I do have Baltimore advancing past Tennessee. Okay, I think Tennessee's will will fall apart. It, it, my 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 thing for Tennessee is it it could potentially be the third season in a row with Derrick Henry taking on over 300 carries. Yeah, that's going to at some get to point him. that's yeah. going to take a toll. Yeah. Even I mean, though I know he's the guy's superhuman, yeah, but. <laughs> he's built for wear, but eventually that wear is going to to tear him down. Yeah, absolutely. And then I'm going to take uh, so that puts uh, Baltimore advancing, and then so that gives me Baltimore versus Buffalo. So I've got Buffalo advancing there, and then KC versus Cleveland. I've got KC uh, advancing there, and then KC moving on. Sure. Okay. So, so there you have it. Uh, a very tight two and a half hours over the AFC uh, <laughs> conference. Ross, I appreciate uh, I appreciate your time, man. This was an absolute blast. So uh, we'll cover the NFC. So come on back uh, for that one. But uh, that's going to do it for now. And uh, and Ross, where can we keep up with you uh, in the meantime? Yeah, no, absolute blast. Love being able to go in depth like this. Uh, really, really had a good time with this. So thanks so much for inviting me on to yeah. uh, to be able to have this conversation. I'm looking forward to covering the NFC up next. Uh, if you're interested, y'all can follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson, NOLA, N-O-L-A. You can check out the Locked On Saints podcast every Monday through Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, as well as over on YouTube and the Locked On NFL podcast. We go five days a week there as well, but I specifically co-host on Tuesdays with my good friend Luke Braun. Uh, who was locked on Vikings. So a lot of good stuff going on over uh, there as well. All right. So there you go. Just check it in on Tuesdays because we only want to listen to Ross. So <laughs> Ross hey, Jackson. Q's on, uh, on Fridays, though. Oh, well, there you go. Tuesdays and Fridays. You know, what a way to close out the week. So Q on Friday for the Locked Off NFL podcast as well. So appreciate it, man. We'll talk to you again real soon about that NFC. Absolutely, brother. Appreciate you. still there you're still there aren't you you're awesome thanks so much uh to ross jackson uh for helping me preview the uh afc uh truth be told i was actually kind of nervous going into uh the episode because i had actually purchased a uh a magazine which i referred to many many times during the uh during the show as you guys have heard but uh, i bought that magazine um like the week before I went to Barnes and Noble and tracked one down and they're not as easy to find as the, I used to buy like two or three every year just to kind of have all the different information. And each, each, uh, you know, publisher had a different uh, feature that I really liked. Like I wish I could have taken pieces out of all of them to make the one perfect, you know, preview 
uh, magazine. Um, but it's, you know, some of them had like, here's what the draft looked like 10 years ago and here's where they are now kind of thing. And then this one was, you know, the, the 15 things to look out for the, for the upcoming season. And there was always a different aspect that each publisher had that uh, I wish they could just condense into one awesome uh, magazine. So I wouldn't have to buy all three just to get the articles that I liked in there. But, um, I was nervous about, you know, going into it because I'd bought it like the week before. And, um, you know, we, we, uh, it was the first week of my return, uh, to the office after working at home for the last 17 months, first time in the office. And that was kind of stressful and working from the home and then working at the office half time and so on, uh, and so forth. I just, I never got around to reading the magazine. Like I, I got up early on cause we took last Saturday. I, I, I got up early on Saturday to kind of do some reading. So, I mean, I had this magazine for over a week and I looked at it for about two hours before sitting down with Ross and I just didn't know how it was going to go. And, um, you know, I thanked Ross, uh, after we got done with the AFC and, uh, was actually pretty proud of myself that, uh, you know, I guess I, I retained, I remembered, I knew uh, more than I thought I did. I wasn't as confident uh, in, my, uh, in my knowledge uh, as I showed off uh, in, during the episode. I was actually quite happy about it because it was the AFC. It's not where my team resides uh, and everything. I, I knew I was going to be a lot better in the NFC show, uh, which you guys will hear on Thursday. But, um, you know, thanks to him. Thanks to you guys for hanging out with us. And uh, thanks to everybody who's listening to this, because that means you made it to the end of this very, very long episode. Well, I appreciate that very much. So um, anyway, that's going to do it for the AFC. What did you guys think? Will it be the uh, will it be the Chiefs? I mean, is, is it, you know, are they the, just the presumptive favorite because they're the Chiefs? And, you know, the, the thing that, that, that marred them the most in the Super Bowl loss to Tampa Bay was basically the primary focus of their offseason. Uh, they, they got rid of the, the dead weight in Fisher and, and uh, uh, their other right tackle, whose name I'm forgetting right now, um, and then brought in new guys, drafted somebody else. They went out and made the moves necessary to improve the offensive line because they're complete everywhere else. They have one of the best tight ends, if not the best tight end in football, the best quarterback. They got Tariq Hill, one of the best playmakers in all of football. They got a solid running game, so they repair that offensive line, and the thing that killed them in the Super Bowl is a lot better than it was when the clock struck zero down in Tampa uh, back in February. So the the Chiefs are ready to roll. It's just a matter of, you know, can they pull it off uh, and go back to the Super Bowl a third time and uh, represent the AFC and, and maybe have a chance to win a championship uh, this time. So, um, you know, I don't think it's the, the biggest leap to, to think it's going to be Kansas City because, you know, so you also heard Ross and I talking. It's like the AFC is, is much more of a stable uh, conference, whereas, you know, it's, it's, it's always the same couple of teams which also kind of makes it boring you guys have heard me bitch about that for years you know and you heard me mention it during this show you know the AFC has sent about five or six teams to the Super Bowl where the NFC has sent about 14 or 15 in the past uh, 20 years since the turn of the century so uh, you know the, the the NFC is the wild west compared to the AFC as far as who's going to who's going to run the gauntlet, who's going to represent the conference in the Super Bowl. It's a pretty safe bet in the AFC. And uh, in the NFC, it could be anybody's because we can go from worst to first and do this. I mean, the Buccaneers did last year. 
think they were maybe a second or third place team uh, in 2020 and, or excuse me, in 2019 and in 2020, the addition of Tom Brady, a key free agent signing here and there, uh, and they're in, they're in the Super Bowl and they're winning it. So, you know, that just shows the Goya in the NFC. Uh, but the AFC, the um, much like it was when Brady was in New England and it was the Patriots versus the field, right now Kansas City. Uh, are the Patriots? They're the team that's that's dominant. They're the one that they're the uh, they're the ones that have to be beaten. And it's kind of like uh, the old Ric Flair saying, "To be the man, you got to beat the man." And right now, they're the man. And I don't see anybody beating them right now. There are some contenders out there for sure: Baltimore, Cleveland. Um, you know, the the Chargers might be very good uh, this year if uh, Brandon Staley is the uh, key to success uh, out there. But um, you know. Maybe the Bills uh, can get after it. Who knows what the Patriots are going to be after this After this kind of like reloading that they've done uh, in this offseason. It's going to be very interesting uh, to watch. But right now, you know, you'd be a fool not to pick Kansas City to represent the AFC uh, in the Super Bowl right now. So, like I said, not the biggest leap. It won't get you the best betting odds. But, you know, it's probably the best odds to get you a return uh, on your money. You probably won't make the most money with it, but you'll get money back get betting on Kansas City right now. So conversation will be much different when it comes to the NFC. Spoiler alert, we both think the same team is going to the Super Bowl, but I think you might be surprised uh, to hear who that is. So um, become, be sure to come back on Thursday when Ross and I get together again to preview the NFC, which is the home conference for both our teams. His Saints, my beloved Chicago Bears, and we talk about the, the South, the North, the East, and the West, and the fate of the NFC in a, as a whole in 2021 and how we think the conference will shape out. So be sure to come back on Thursday for that. And my thoughts on Eddie Goldman and possibly Aaron Rodgers all in that episode, so you don't want to miss it. So until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Bears Talk Underground. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. 
The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows.